Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, game one is in the books, and the Phoenix Suns beat the Milwaukee Bucks. They were six-point favorites. They covered the spread. They win the game. They're favored to win the series. Uh, it was a game that went a lot like the Jazz games went this year when Jazz when the Jazz knew they were the better team. And like games, quite frankly, the Jazz played in Stockton alone were on top. You, you kind of figure things out in the first half. You probably build a little bit of a lead, get it up to five to ten points, whatever, somewhere in that margin. I think it was eight for the Suns. And you kind of figure them out. And you see all their rotations, see how they're going to play you, any wrinkles they throw at you. But by the third quarter, 24 minutes of books in the basketball, there are no more tricks. You know where to attack them, and you go below the game open, and the Suns did. And they got that lead up to 20, and credit the Bucks, They fought back. They got within seven, but they didn't get any more, and, and the Suns pull away and win the game. Chris Paul goes for 32, and really a predictable 32 if you were watching the game on TV, which is, I assume is how most of you watched it. Maybe a few of you were in your cars or whatever and listened. But um, <laughs> it really came down to a play in the first half. When Chris Paul tried to throw a pass towards the top of the key, it got deflected, he got it back. He tried to throw it in the corner, it got batted out of bounds. And Jeff Van Gundy said, wow, I don't think I've ever seen Chris Paul have two passes deflected on the same possession. Mark Jackson said, well, that's because they're playing him to pass. He's got to be aggressive and go score and change that. And that was late. It was probably like three minutes or so left in the first half. And he came out in the third quarter and he attacked the rim. And he ends up with 32 points. He scored at will. They went on the run. And that was that. Now, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I thought he looked pretty good. Maybe he'll be even better Thursday and have an enormous game and tie the series up. So I think the Bucks should have some hope there. Um, but the Suns, you know, everyone thinks that, not everyone, but most people think they're the best team and they look like the best team and uh, Chris Paul went off and we'll see how the Suns choose to defend him in game two. All right, we're going to switch a little gears right now. Uh, College football, Miami Hurricanes, a mixed martial arts gym is going to give every player 500 bucks. It's an enormous contract. (laughs) Name, image, and likeness. All the Canes football players are getting taken care of. Where is this going with name, image, and likeness? We had uh, Steve Cleveland on late in yesterday's show and discussed how he thought this might play out. Obviously, coaching J.C. Ball in California became, before he came to BYU, before he went to Fresno State. So you got a little experience in this area. Here's Steve Cleveland uh, with PK and I talking name, image, and likeness and paying college athletes on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve, you coached for a long time. J.C. Ball, BYU, Fresno State. The name, image, and likeness thing has been coming for a while. And now the first few days in, there's deals cut almost immediately. Where is this going? Can you give us one or two unintended consequences of this? Because we're sure there's going to be a lot of them. Well, look, I, I think the first thing is how you legislate it and how you administer it. And uh, there's so many things that they still don't even know that are going to happen. I mean, we just, you know, and I'm not an expert on this. I've read what you've read and uh, trying to get an understanding. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't think it's going to impact that many athletes, to be honest with you, when it's all said and done. Uh, I, I'm sure the really elite athletes, there's they're, they're going to be some, you know, there's a benefit to them in some situations. But if, if young people are thinking that people now are just going to line up and want to give them money at a time when uh, we've gone through so many things uh, in life here with COVID and businesses going out of business and this and that, that... I think it would be foolish to think that that there are going to be a lot of student athletes that actually really benefit from this. I, I suspect there will be. You're, you're opening a Pandora's box here where we don't know what the consequences are. And certainly, I, I get how 
the legal system came to the point where they are. Uh, but I, I'm just not sure. I'm guarded watching this to see how it's going to play out. And there's so many unknowns. And, and maybe because of my conservative nature and never really, I mean, you know what? They're, they're, it's true. I mean, the, these young men, I, I remember, I mean, it's different today even than when I was coaching. I mean, you couldn't buy a kid a meal. You, you couldn't get a milkshake for them. You couldn't, they, you couldn't send them home when they had, their parents were sick or ill. I mean, there were so many restrictions that everything was a violation. Everybody said, well, oh, yeah, we, they run a, nobody was running a clean program because there was unintended things that happened in every program that led to sometimes more serious you know, ramifications. But at the end of the day, you, you look back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, 90s, the student athlete was wasn't given a whole lot, you know. I mean, yes, there was opportunities, and you could say, "Oh, they got an education," you know, and all of those things. But there were a lot of things we couldn't do that made it really difficult. And now, all of a sudden, we've gone full circle, where the perception is that they can be paid, they're going to make money, they can get have you know contracts with uh, businesses and things, and anything that, whether it's jersey, the likeness of their jersey or their face or whatever it might be, man, and I I know this is something they've been thinking about, and a lot of smart people have kind of gone forward with this thing, but I have no idea how this is going to play out, other than my gut feeling tells me that it really is not going to impact that many people. Now, you know, a year from now, we have this conversation, and you see, you are dead wrong, but for me, from the outside looking in, I just don't see how many young people are really going to benefit from it. I wonder at a place like BYU if they could benefit it more than other schools because of the religious connection. Uh, you look at these guys when they go on into the pro ranks. Like you can't drive around. You may have noticed it because I know you spent some recent time here with your son along the Wasatch Front. You see pictures of Taysom Hill and Daniel Sorensen of the Chiefs and of the Saints. I don't even know what they're advertising, but I see their faces on the billboards, and there is that connection because of the religious connection. And certainly we understand a kid like Jimmer. If this would have been around in Jimmer's day, yeah. my goodness, I mean, he would own <laughs> half the town. Uh, so exactly. that's that's a high-level exception. But I wonder, because of that the LDS connection, if that could pay off a little bit more because there would be a closer association with that kid. I think there's, there could be, because there is a connection, not just as a student-athlete, but at, they share the same faith. And, and it's a very connected group of people worldwide. And so, yeah, I, I think that possibly could connect. And uh, they have passionate fans, as all schools have really passionate fans. But most schools, I mean, you know, if you're at Notre Dame, I'm not sure that every young man that is a student that goes to Notre Dame is a Catholic, but there is a connection there as well, you know, where... But that, that's a different situation, whereas in Utah, the, the, a lot of the membership of the church lives in, in the West, and, and specifically a lot of members in the state of Utah were BYU. And so, yeah, I, I could see that, where there's such passionate fans that they may look for ways to, yeah, you know what, uh, I, I think we can support this young man, and we'd like to have him represent our country, our company. So I could see that happening more there than than I would at Fresno State, where I live and watch. Right. And uh, and there's some high level. Aaron Judge playing for the Yankees, who was was a baseball player there. You had Paul George playing basketball, Derek Carr playing football. Those were all high end, you know, uh, professional athletes. 
But I, I don't see that community re- at any time really being in a position to do the things that they're asking to do because it's it just they didn't get that kind of support. So most of their notoriety money was made at the next level. And uh, But you never know. I mean, I, I know there's two twin basketball players from Fresno State who have like a gazillion followers on Twitter and this and that, and they're trying to, to make money out of this thing. So I, I guess it can happen in every community, but there's a big difference, for instance, in the two communities that I live in terms of the relationship between fans and players. And, uh, and certainly I could see that at BYU uh, because of the church. Not because the church has anything to do with it, but because there's such a connection. I think it just comes down to that most state universities, most public schools are naturally geographically based. And you look at Army, Navy, Air Force, Notre Dame, and BYU, those five have far-flung fan bases that are digitally connected. They do, they have to be. Yes. And be, once you have the digitally connected fan base, you've got digital businesses appealing to them, and those businesses may want players from those schools in a way that fill in the blank state university. Yeah, I know Ohio State's got a national rep, but most of the state universities just don't. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like that thought. I hadn't really actually given that thought where they could benefit, but from that digital businesses, you're right. And and you know, and and, and young people, they're prepared for that. I mean. They, they live in a digital world. They, they know the digital world. And uh, so you have two groups that can connect because of that. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's a great thought, David. I mean, I, I think that, uh, that that is an area that would, would bring people together. And, you know, no generation has been more digitally in tune than the one we live with today. One of the things that makes me a little bit concerned is that some of these guys who don't come from much all of a sudden may get some money, and then you get a bunch of hanger-oners that are just going to try to pilfer it and all of a sudden going to buddy up to these guys because they, they already get it to an extent, but now it could be even more. And I, I'm concerned the kid is going to be young, obviously, and he's going to get this money potentially because you see it at the pro rank, but now it happens even earlier, and it may cause some problems. You see that? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure that presidents of schools and athletic directors, and I, and I know most schools are supportive, and, and I've listened to people who are supportive of it, but they better have things in place. <laughs> and, and as big as an organization as the NC2A has been with all the rules, and I'm not suggesting 100 more rules because there, there have been so many NC2A violations throughout the years at you know, most universities at some time or another. And this really opens the door to uh, inappropriate things that could potentially happen. And so I think more than anything, the responsibility lies with the institution. And they better have things in place. They better have staff in an athletic organization. They better have staff, uh, you know, with uh, the booster groups. And they better, you know, they certainly have got to monitor this in ways that they've never done before. And everything's so new. And I'm sure they're going to learn and, and probably there are going to be some mistakes and there's going to be some inappropriate things happen because they already have been happening. And now we're opening the door to it and saying, it's okay. How do we define that? Uh, how are we going to legislate it? Uh, how, how are we going to be judicious about this? And when somebody does something, what are, you know, how is the NC2A going to be involved in this and monitoring it? And, or maybe it's just the institutions that monitor it. Well, that, that opens a door that, you know, 
could really, really lead to some inappropriate things happening. So I can't imagine an institution, and it's happened so quickly, so they haven't had a lot of time, but uh, to, to, to keep things in order, they, they, they'd have to have now a group of people at the, each institution that are monitoring it and managing it. Besides the kids who need to be educated, and I'm sure right now when school starts, everybody's going to be completely educated, and maybe they've already started doing it now, but every student athlete has to be educated to what, what's appropriate, what isn't, because anybody that turns an eye, blind eye to that is, is going to lead themselves down a road where all of a sudden the NCAA is going to be way more involved in the, in the judicial part of this where schools are in trouble. And, and it wasn't maybe meant. It's just that had inappropriate monitoring. And listen, I, I have had a lot of experience uh, with the NC2A when I was at Fresno when uh, I met with the NC2A for things that had happened there. And uh, it, it, was, uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It, it wasn't about anything that I had been or been, but it was something that I was, had to manage and fix. And, and I know what that feels like to sit in a room with a bunch of attorneys and presidents and everybody else and talk about how we're going to monitor this. And now we have something everybody seems to be really excited about, and, and I don't have any issues with, with kids being compensated for their likeness, and if it's appropriate, hey, good for them. I mean, that's good for them and good for the institution. But uh, you better monitor it, and, and, it, and it better be done in an appropriate way. Otherwise, we're going down a road here that uh, could be pretty destructive to people, to programs, and to businesses. Steve, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we will revisit this down the line. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes, and yeah. we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. See you. All right, there is Steve Cleveland. More in a moment. Stay with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Rises and fires for three. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. You're outstanding. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, the NBA Finals are underway, but for the other 28 teams, we're into the offseason, prepping for the draft, for free agency. What are the Jazz going to do? What are they going to do with Mike Conley? What are they going to do to make the team more versatile for small ball lineups with their backup center? And can they get any wing guys? Because everybody wants to see the Jazz get more wing guys. Dan Feldman, NBC Pro Basketball Talk. Uh, writes on their website, has done radio and TV appearances on NBC uh, properties. He joined us to talk about that, and I asked him about uh, Derek Favors and what to do with the backup center spot. Here's Dan Feldman with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Oh, so I, you know, I think backup center is a place where the Jazz definitely have room to upgrade. Uh, I, I wasn't so impressed with where Favors was by the end of the year into the playoffs. To me, he just looked like a worse version of Rudy Gobert in a lot of ways, had a lot of uh, limitations, but obviously not nearly the same strength. Uh, so I think backup center is a place where the Jazz can both upgrade uh, and also get the ability to play different styles, be more adaptable. Obviously, usually you want to have your best players on the floor, and 
that's Rudy Gobert. But there are going to be times, like against the Clippers, when, when they went small, it gave the Jazz a lot of problems. There are going to be times where you want to play different styles. And I think backup center is a place that the, the Jazz can get a reasonable player. Not going to be a good but somebody who can work favors and provide that adaptability. How about be able to hit some threes because they don't have that out of their big man now? Yeah, that'd be a big part of it. Uh, it's offensively like that, too, but it's also defensively. Rudy Colbert is an excellent defender. He is at his best when he's in the paint. Uh, he loses some of his value when he's on the perimeter. He holds his own. I'm not one of these people who believes, oh, he gets played off the court all the time in the playoffs or anything like that. But there are times where there's some players who can play center, who can hold up there in smaller lineups, uh, who are just a little bit more fleet of foot, better moving on the perimeter, uh, better on that defensive end in those matchups. So there's been a lot of talk about wing players for the Jazz and that they need someone who's got some size and some athletic ability and then make enough threes, maybe bring them along as a three-point shooter. How much would you value that? Uh, it'd be great. Uh, the whole league values that, though, unfortunately, for, for the Jazz. That, that is the premium uh, spot to fill. To get an athletic and skilled wing. The Jazz have one in Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, he's, he's a little smaller than, than who you're talking about. Uh, the, the guy you want, but those players are, are so hard to find, so hard to get, uh, and the Jazz are, are going to be limited to the mid-level exception. It's going to be tough to get that style of player because uh, there just aren't that many of them around the league, and the ones who are, are for that reason, very highly valued. So Damian Lillard has a massive contract, and he's a massive talent for sure. Do you think there's any way he would get moved? If he wants to. Uh, that's how the NBA works now. If he wants to get traded, he will. Uh, I'm going to take him at, you know, at, at his word. He's talked about staying with one team. So often. I think he's a little frustrated at this moment. Everything hasn't gone to plan. Uh, I, so I, I think it's highly unlikely, but sure, there's a chance. Doesn't it seem more likely with four years left on his deal that with the coaching change, he gives it a shot for a couple of years and then he's moved with two years left on his deal? Or is that old school thinking after watching the way Chris Paul's been bounced around the league by the Rockets, the Thunder, and now to the Suns? You know, it's, it's different than Chris Paul uh, because Chris Paul, you know, when he engineered the moves himself, uh, it wasn't with so much time left. He didn't want the Rockets. So trade, well, maybe he did by that point. But he wasn't you know, forcing a trade, demanding a trade. The Rockets were the, were the real impetus there. They wanted to get rid of him. Uh, the Trailblazers don't want to get rid of Damian Lillard, no way. And they do have some leverage uh, because of that. So much of this is really about uh, the star's stomach for doing this, right? If Damian Lillard really wants to be traded and is willing to make a mess and make things difficult on the Trailblazers and not be the great leader he was and not be the great teammate he was, yeah, he can probably get traded. A lot of players don't want to do that. That's not their mindset, and that's so far from what Damian Lillard's mindset has been. Does Kawhi go back to the uh, Clippers? I think that's most likely. Uh, there's no signal I've seen in any direction stronger than just two years ago he chose the Clippers. He could have gone anywhere, and he chose the Clippers. Obviously, it hasn't worked out as well as anybody there would have hoped, uh, but has it been so bad that he's ready to leave? I doubt it. Uh, but it's at least possible. Once you hit free agency, you have options. What happens with the Mavericks? Because obviously you got Luka Doncic there. Awesome. But you got a new coach. You got a new GM. You got the ability to create some serious cap space. What are they going to do? It's kind of a bummer for them in that they've been uh, saving up to have this cap space. The last year before 
you know, Luka Doncic is going to be on the, that Supermax contract and so highly paid. You have him on that Chiefs rookie scale contract. This is your opportunity to get cap space. And Giannis signs his extension. Kawhi Leonard, who we just talked about, is probably going to say, I mean, I'm sure you make a run at him. This, this free agent class hasn't panned out as hoped. But Tim Hardaway Jr. played very well for them, gave them good minutes. A lot of their cap space is based on him leaving, his big salary coming off the bus. Their best option might end up just being re-signing him. That'd be disappointing, uh, but you got to make the best of the situation. Yeah, that's interesting there with that situation as far as what they're going to be able to do because even though the kid is young, it seems like there's a lot of intense pressure to get better immediately as if he's running out of time. And what is he, 22? Maybe not. I don't even know if he's 23. So it seems like, you know, when you look at somebody like Chris Paul, who doesn't get to the finals until his 16th year, it seems kind of silly that Dallas is under this pressure. But at least that's my perception of it from the outside. See, I read the pressure a little differently. The pressure is that he's running out of time. The pressure is that the window's open already because he's so good when so young. Uh, sometimes teams mistime it. Uh, Luka Doncic is ready to lead a team deep into the playoffs. They just need to get the players around him. I also think some of the pressure comes from they already made their move for a second star, and it hasn't worked. Kristaps Porzingis is not playing on that level. It's frustrating him. It's frustrating Doncic. It's frustrating everybody. Uh, the problem is he's on this high salary, so it makes it harder to get somebody else. The Mavericks gave up a couple first-round picks to get them. Those are assets they can't use to get somebody else. Uh, so I think the pressure just comes from the frustration that, uh-oh, like this, this, the first plan hasn't worked. That makes it harder to get to the second plan. By the time you, you let the first plan, if you're just going to let it run its course, then maybe Doncic is even more frustrated. Uh, but I, I think the pressure is more generally optimistic. It's about the window being open because Doncic is so good. So the Grizzlies should be better because they're young. The Warriors should be better because they're healthy. How much better are those teams going to be, and can they make a Suns-like leap? Suns-like leap is tough. That's a, that's a high bar. Both teams definitely can be better. Uh, the Warriors were pretty darn good this year when they weren't playing James Wiseman uh, and maybe a couple other players who, who didn't belong in the rotation. The Suns the, the, or, or the, the Warriors is a, is a framework there, right? Steph Curry is awesome. Draymond Green can still dial it up at times. It's a question how often he can as he gets older, uh, but they should be pretty good. The Grizzlies, uh, you know, they, they've got to decide how fast they want to accelerate because some of the reason they were good, of course, is they're you know, super young players, uh, especially John Morant. Some of it is they've had uh, a couple solid veterans, especially uh, Jonas Valanciunas. Do you want to keep relying on him? Uh, by the time John Morant is peaking, uh, Jonas Valanciunas might not be in his prime anymore. Uh, so you do, do you want to try, where do you want to time it? Do you want to have everything come together when John Morant is at his peak? Uh, then maybe that means you know, trading Jonas Valanciunas, getting something for him, a younger player who, who's better timed with Morant, or do you want to try and be better now? Uh, but both those teams, however they go, uh, both the Warriors and Grizzlies should be in that playoff mix next year. Well, Dan, before we get to next year, we got the finals this year. So enjoy them. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again as the offseason heats up. Thanks for having me. There's Dan Feldman from NBC Pro Basketball Talk. When we come back, David Locke, really not talking a lot of jazz in this visit. It's more about the name, image, and likeness. Entrepreneur, David Locke. <laughs> He'll join us next. Stay with us. Rises and fires for three. 
The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So we had David Locke on at the end of last week, but a lot of you were uh, ducking out for the holiday weekend. We talked with him uh, not so much about the jazz and the NBA, uh, but more about name, image, and likeness. David's mind goes a million miles a minute. And he launched a podcast network, the Lockdown Network, that really took off. He just sold an interest in it and uh, did quite well for himself. So as much as we laugh about David as an entrepreneur, no, really, David Locke is an entrepreneur. Interesting. So I want to get his take on the name, image, and likeness stuff. And when we were talking to him, the rules had just changed. And already in a week, we've started to see deals cut. So here's David on where he thinks this is all going with college athletes on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David Locke joins us now. He's here every week. He's brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Let's talk college sports. This is so fascinating. <laughs> Name, image, and likeness. It's a chance for, I love it. chance for entrepreneurs to go in any direction they want. You are an entrepreneur with your podcast network. You set it up. You grew it. You did really well for yourself with it. What would you tell the 20-year-old athlete and... As the parent of young athletes, what would you tell the 15-year-old? It's interesting. I, I think telling the 15-year-old's the hardest, right? Because here I have, been, you know, I'm parenting a 16-year-old, and a lot of our conversations are all about social networks, and here you have the two Fresno State players that have got their TikTok following that suddenly go and, you know, get themselves a big deal. You've got the Jackson State volleyball player, got the barstool deal, and unfortunately, none of neither of these seem to be a great deal about their athletic prowess. It has to do with their being female and being attractive. So you're reconfirming all sorts of bad social image issues that happen to girls because of social networking and making it seem like social networking is more important. I actually, it's interesting you phrase it like that. The the one downside I see on this is is really what it does to the younger kids and blows up the importance of your social network following as being really important. We dealt with it with our son a tiny bit that he lost a ski sponsorship or two early on in his career because we didn't let him have social networks and he wasn't involved in them. And so he didn't have enough followers to qualify for various things that you can get in the ski world. Um, so I've kind of dealt with it a little bit. And, you know, we just decided that that was the right you know, parenting long-term is more important than getting cool jackets and cool stuff. Um, but it's hard. I think that's the hard one. Otherwise, I mean, I think the answer as an athlete is you, you, you take in these opportunities. The time consumption on it is, is a real issue. You better be careful about what you're doing. And you better make sure you don't do anything to damage your brand for a long period of time. And I thought some of Don Staley's tweets about, you know, better have accountants and better have also, it's real. You're in business now at a young age. So, um, you know, I think I think those things from an impact of a large. My question is what I think it does to the larger picture, college football, and and my theory is I think it it evens out the top twenty. I think it'll be really. I actually think it's going to be really good for the competitive balance of the game. Everyone's saying it's going to be bad. I actually go the other way, 
which is we don't really have competitive balance right now. We've got five or six teams that have a chance to win a national championship every year. I think that number could go to 20. Right now, you know, there's 65-star recruits. 35 of them are going to Alabama and Clemson. You know, when someone offers a better deal now at those other places, I mean, not like they weren't getting paid already, but gets, you know, even more openly better deal, then I'm not sure that 35 of those 65-star recruits are all going to Alabama and Clemson anymore. Okay, but how is that going to happen when you say they're offered a better deal because they haven't been there yet and the school's not supposed to be involved? It's supposed to be something that you do on your own. So it seems like it would lead even to more corruption, and the corruption's already rampant, so I'm not sure how that is actually executed. Well, we can't have more corruption, TK. (laughs) Well, we can. We cannot have more corruption. (laughs) So now we can have open capitalism for athletes to be able to sell their name and likeness rather than the school being the only one that profits up. I mean, what's interesting is I heard yesterday, and I'm making a bunch of calls on it because, frankly, from a lockdown standpoint, it's important to us, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with it. Like, I made a bunch of calls to people around college sports yesterday. I got a different answer on every single time I called. Like, and what I think is really interesting is while the universities are not supposed to be involved, I have heard that the players have to sign some sort of an agreement with the university that frees the university of any liability to these sponsorships. So, I, you know, the, the answer to your question is, I'm sure in the recruiting process, it'll be mentioned, hey, in our past quarterback had these um, endorsements and our past running back had these endorsements. It's not necessarily saying you're going to get them, but our past one did. Okay. So, I'm sure that that'll be taking place, and I think that'll be – I actually think that'll level the playing field. The other one I think's really cool is Patrick Kinahan, the huge baseball Arizona State baseball fan, hits it big, right? So you now have millions, PK, and you decide, you know what, I want to make sure that Arizona State is in the College World Series every year in a powerhouse. You probably could do that. Maybe baseball's too big, but if you really decide, like BYU women's bat- volleyball is pretty darn good, but let's say you want to make sure it's really good, and that's your passion, is one of these Olympic sports, I think individual boosters and bringing together a collection of businesses that now endorse those athletes suddenly can take an individual program at a school as a passion project and turn it into something great. Is this going to be more a social media play, more a retail advertising play, or more an entrepreneurship play? How's this going to go in the long run? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's just an equation, right? I mean, I'm doing it. We're trying to figure out it locked on. Like, if are we allowed to go suddenly, who's the new BYU quarterback? Who's the new Zach Wilson? I don't know who's starting BYU. Uh, they haven't. They haven't named one yet. Just Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, or uh, Jacob Conover. They're the three guys right. who are competing. So, like Jay Catch on Locked On Cougars, suddenly creates a deal with Baylor Romney to come on the show for X amount of dollars every week and becomes a regular on Locked On Cougars. To how many listeners does he bring in? What's the value of a listener to us? Is it worth it? 
Like, that's the equation I'm doing every day right now. Right. We discussed that with Tom Homo, that very thing. does If Jaron Hall wins the deal, does he have a, a deal with Channel 2 to give an exclusive interview after every game? And what did Tom Homo say? He acknowledged that it could happen. It's an interesting concept that the player can now be exclusive until the sports information director tells him he's got to do media. He says, I can't do it. I'm getting paid by Channel 2. That that's what we were discussing. We're going yeah. to areas and, that and could potentially happen. I've already I've already talked to a current sports information director who said so when you walk in the locker room after a game and you tell the three to five players you're going to the podium, do the sixth and seventh players look at you and say, You're killing me, you're quieting my brand. I need to be out talking to the media. Yeah. And they acknowledged yeah. they acknowledged, yeah, we gotta figure all that stuff out. And maybe they just take everybody to the podium now who's requested so they can tell the players, well, you weren't requested. Well, maybe it's a good day for the media and they'll suddenly realize they can't hide their players because their players want to be out. Possibly. Players are now. Well, some why, of them why should a play, wait, why should a player go to the podium anymore? Why shouldn't the player sit in, the locker, in his locker room and do an Instagram live and hold his own press conference after the game? Well, and then get all the followers on his account. If you're if you're trying to get all the followers, you can. You would do both. Right. Hey, I'm doing an hour after every game. I'm doing Instagram Live. Take your questions to fans, the media. Yep. Then you just have the media go to Instagram. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I mean, we already go to team websites and and to Zoom calls, and and you already see. Uh, if someone tweets out something that's newsworthy, everybody's running with it. It's embedded in stories. Sports Center's got graphics for it. NFL Network's got graphics for it. I mean, everybody's on it. Yep. It's almost like a team should say, you know what? We're just going to let the players do their own stuff. Go. We're no longer involved. Uh, and from that perspective, but then they, what we're seeing now and has been ongoing is schools are producing their own content. Um, you know, the, the interesting one is my understanding is that if you have a brand, if Channel 2 has any relationship with BYU, then you can't do that deal. Which is really wild. So you almost have to not have a deal with the university to be able to do the deal with the players. It's all to be figured out. Where is this kind going? Of, it's kind of great. Not kind of great. It's a hundred percent great. Potentially, I love it. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> right? You know what? Like PK, the other, like it's the same way I feel about the transfer portal. Sure, it's not perfect, but what we had before was obscenely no, wrong. I agree with that, and I get that. But let's go right back to what you said earlier about the first deals are for female athletes in its reinforcing body image issues. And that's not only critical for that person, for that, in some cases, kid, right? Because there'll be high school athletes uh, who could be exploited or, depending on your point of view, benefiting themselves. But the message that gets spread to other kids, you know, the unintended consequences are huge. I've raised no, a daughter, I mean, you've raised a daughter, I mean, PK's like, raised a daughter. It doesn't impact just the one kid. Right, but that's not, I mean, 100%. I'm with you 100%. 100%. And David Portnoy is like, you know, making 
hundreds of millions of dollars on exploiting women. Like, that's his deal. But that's been going on in society forever. And until society backs off, it's not the, that's not the fault of name, image, and likeness. That's the problem of the way we've treated women in our society for hundreds of years and continue to do so. And until, you know, someone decides to not support the people that are doing that, that's the issue. It's not name, image, and likeness. It's the unfortunate reality. You know, someone's got a size they don't want to support Barstool because of what bar, if they're raising a daughter and they're supporting Barstool, I ask you to check yourself. All right, how about a little jazz content, David? Mary Connolly said something on Instagram if you want to just go with this whole theory. Like, All right, hey. what do you got? No, I mean, I'm joking, but oh, like okay. Mary Connolly <laughs> tweeted out an Instagram picture of them packing up from Utah. Like, well, of course, because they live in Columbus. But it, like, created, like, this firestorm. So I, like, I just was laughing more about, like, you know, the media all at Instagram oh, and us reacting. So Mary Conley must be Mike's wife. Yes. Okay. Right. So who's we're going down, down, we're going down the, the whole Gordon Hayward right. Celtic jersey, uh, whatever, uh, what holiday right. was that? Was it Halloween or? I don't remember. It right. was some oh, holiday. Oh, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. It was St. Patrick's right. Day. Yeah. Accidentally yeah, I mean, breaking Clancy, the news. Mary Clancy is an Instagram influencer, so like she has, she's done name, image, and likeness for herself, and very good at it, frankly. I mean, that's actually on the simplest end of this conversation. Like whether an athlete goes in, like the idea that an athlete, the previous idea that an athlete could not be an influencer because they were playing sports, the fact that this guy couldn't do country music concerts because he was an athlete. It's just the most absurd thing in the world. So while this may not be perfect, there's nothing worse than what we have. I agree with that. Yes, absolutely. We're up for it. We're just acknowledging there's unintended consequences. We don't even know what they are. Right, we don't. They are so unintended. We yeah. we can't even predict right now. We're going to sit here six months or a year from now and go, wow, that turned into a deal. Didn't see that coming. Right. I don't think it's going to be as bad for competitive balance as everyone's making it sound. I, I agree with you on that. If for no other reason, then how much worse is competitive balance going to be? In football. So. Right. In, in football, right. there's six teams fighting for four playoff berths, and Alabama and Clemson are, even among those six, are cut above the other four. You know, Ohio State and Oklahoma are trying to get there. Notre Dame's trying to get there. But why is a five-star risk, risk not being the guy? Why not go here and be the guy? As right, opposed to being, you know, a backup or the fourth best defensive lineman and getting no run, we'll see. Right, hundred percent. Right, and you and and you know, hey, USC and UCLA have already had every advantage they possibly could have had for the last twenty years, and they haven't profited off them. So why believe they're going to now? Like if you're if you're a poorly run athletic department, you're a poorly run athletic department. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna suddenly figure out how to do this if you can't figure out how to do everything else. Stanford will have an advantage. They'll, their kids will be getting paid in shares of Google so and Amazon. So They already are. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, Let's be honest about it. Stanford's athletes are getting fabulous jobs right out of college. Is that any different than what we're talking about right now? Like your summer internships are preset when you go to Stanford as an athlete. Uh, the difference being we live with that and we accept it because they've earned that right. Right. They went the hard way and they got it done. So good for them. Right. 
All right, we need one jazz nugget for the jazz fan who tuned in for this and got a lot of college sports. Um, with, with the change, I'm curious, with the change now at the top of the organization, are we going to see a subtle or maybe not so subtle shift to the five-out lineups and having those available for the minutes that Rudy Gobert is off the floor? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of our focus is on, you know, what happened to us defensively, and it should be, frankly. Uh, but I think the story of the playoffs has been roster versatility. Though, frankly, Phoenix doesn't have a great deal of roster versatility. They have enough, though. They play Dario Sarge as their backup center, and if they had had to play him more than eight minutes a night, if Aiton hadn't been such a force, they could have. Um, most teams right now have – Atlanta has it, Milwaukee has it, Brooklyn has it, uh, Philadelphia, Joel Embiid so prominent that they don't really have it, but I, but I think their backup center by uh, – well, their backup center should be Ben Simmons, but that's a different issue. Um, you know, they have roster versatility. You know, Golden State didn't have roster versatility. They couldn't go big. So, you know, in both directions. But I do think that what you'll probably see this year is a movement toward a little bit more roster versatility by the Jazz if they're able to do it. And so that means personnel change? Yeah, I mean, right now we really can only play one way, um, which is fine. Like, in that, you know, and I think that was Dennis's signature was – and he even said it, like, if you go back to – I asked Dennis and Justin in a press conference last year about whether or not they believe in wanting to play defensively in multiple different facets or if you're better off being able to play 48 minutes the same way. And I thought after drafting Azubuke, I interpreted Dennis's answer as saying that he really believed in playing 48 minutes in a similar style the entire way which if you look at our centers, they're all three of them are the exact same style of players. And so that led us to playing, you know, drop big defensively. We didn't have a lot of options to switch one through five. And offensively, you're playing a pick-and-roll rule game, not a pick-and-roll pop game. There wasn't a great deal of roster versatility. And, and my understanding from that question that I asked Dennis at the press conference, and I apologize to him, if I'm misinterpreting what he said, was that that was by design. Now, maybe I misunderstood, so i got to be careful, and it was six months ago. Um, but that was my understanding at the time, was that that was by design. It made sense to be by design. But as the year has evolved, I think what we're seeing is more roster versatility from teams, and so if the Jazz can do it, I think they'll try to create more roster versatility. And how do you think they go about that, then? I don't know. Me either. Veteran exception, draft pick seem to be the two obvious. I mean, we, there aren't a lot, like, we, we, that's probably the issue that has to be confronted the most by the fan base and ourselves is that there just are not that many levers to pull right now. So even ignoring the luxury tax impact if you, if you sign someone, and Ryan – and Ashley Smith have shown the willingness to do that, you know, which I find, you know, I guess it's impressive. I, I'm never sure what I think about luxury tax. Like, from a financial standpoint, it's so prohibitive, I have a hard time calling it impressive, right? It's a, it's a commitment. Let's just call it that. Like, it's a clear commitment. Um, the, but because you're in the luxury tax, you don't have the mid-level exception. 
So when you go out to the free agent market, you don't actually have full mid-level. You only have taxpayer mid-level, which is a smaller number, which makes it really hard to sign kind of a mid-level free agent because everybody else who's not in the tax can give that mid-level free agent more money. So that kind of takes a playoff. We can't trade a draft pick until after the draft. We could draft the player and then trade the player once we acquire it, but we can't trade a future any future draft picks until Memphis exercises the pick that we did in the Mike Conley deal. So that lever's off the table. Then, you know, then frankly, because you're in the tax, you have less margin by which you can make trades in what your window is of matching those salaries. So that's off the table. So now the moves that are on the table are a late first-round draft pick, which is pretty unlikely to contribute for a really, really good team, and and then minimum veteran salaries, which have turned out to be very prosperous for teams, but we've got to prove we can go get them. You know, the Reggie Jacksons of the world that were on the scrap heap that they went and got for the minimum. The, you know, some other, Brooke Lopez, frankly, coming out of L.A. was about as low level a contract as you could get. That was a great move by Milwaukee two years ago. They've made it since. And then the last piece of the puzzle is trading your play, current players. Like, as much as we love Boyan, Joe, Jordan, Mike, all these guys, and it would be negligent not to, you've got to run around the league and find out. And, like, like I'll throw one at you and tell me what you think. Like, at first it sounds terrible. Joe Ingles for Larry Nance Jr. No. (laughs) Jacking up our radio show, dude. Right, but like, so I think Joe was unbelievable this year. I would have voted him for sixth man of the year. I thought he was as important to anything we had. His three-point shooting and what he did was one of the large reasons why we were successful. I think it's the most undervalued thing. I, there's not an ounce of me that has any part of believing that Joe Ingles is fabulous for us last year. Third ball handler in the pick and roll. Best spot-up shooter in the league. Best shooter in the league over the last the first eight seconds of the shot clock over the last four years. Like I'm not lost on Joe Ingles' value. Yeah, but, but he acknowledges he acknowledges this, this in an interview about finishing his career. He says you want to, but it's a business and you know how it works. I mean, right. he knows. Nance, he said it. Larry Nance Jr. lets us have roster versatility. I don't know if that's the right answer. I just found a number that the contract that matches. Sure. Right. So Larry Nance Jr. You'd have to find a way to you know do some other things with your roster. But Larry Nance Jr. probably can play the five. He's in a really interesting interview this year. I actually have to be listening to Locked on Cavs. Talking about, I can do it for 12, 14 minutes a night. I can't do it for 30. Well, okay, that's all we need it for. He can shoot the three well enough that he can play the four. He can switch one through five defensively. Like, he gives us a totally different look to who we are as a team. Is that worth it? I, I, I'm not. That's above my pay grade. But that conversation should be taking place inside the Jazz front office, and it certainly is. David, we appreciate the time and all the random ideas for name, image, and likeness and a little bit of NBA along the way. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next week. You wanted a little nugget. That was a pretty big gold nugget right there. We are like 49ers on the gold trail with that one. That was a great little conversation for you. There's David Locke. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, including Game 1 of the NBA Finals with the Suns and the Bucks. Next. Next. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. Booker at three-point range. Now pulls it way out between the circles. Now motions for his teammates to clear out the side. And now he wants to drive, gets it out to Paul. Three-pointer on the way. Shazam! To Paul. Paul stops. Three-pointer on the way. Shazam! And he's fouled. He is fouled by Lopez. How about that? Get it over to Chris Paul. Paul on the drive. Goes inside. Go to the rim. Score it. Count it. And he's fouled from behind by Giannis. Oh, brother! Phoenix Suns win game one. Chris Paul, 32 points, nine assists. Devin Booker goes for 27. A big third quarter, and the Suns ride that. Whether a, a late run by the Bucks, they got it into single digits. But the Suns win 118-105. You see anything that's surprising in that game, aside from Maybe Giannis running up and down the court. I guess that'd be the biggest surprise. Oh, man, it was a sweet night for all of us. Everyone <laughs> in the Valley is pumped, eh? What are you, Canadian? Yes, the Canadians in the Valley, too. That's the point Not of everybody. this time of year. No, they're, they're gone. <laughs> We're just the hardcores left now. The real Valleyites are, are None there. None of these snowbirds? No, they left. They left weeks ago. My sister sent me this thing here. See this the score? Yeah. I, the game was tonight? I, I watched the whole game. What do you tend to say? Yeah, why the final you score? The score? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure I'm aware of the final score, but thanks. Thanks for the update, sis. Uh, Chris Paul just continues to amaze me, man. I don't know why, but I am so captivated by his play. I mean, Booker was aggressive early getting to the free throw line. That was, I don't know if it was home court or what, but he seemed to be getting every call going to the free throw line. And what, they only missed one out of like 24, 25, 25, yeah, 26 they, or something? It was, 20, it was 25 and 26. Yeah. And the one they missed was late. 30 was seconds over. left and the yeah, game was over. Yeah. And and Crowder did his usual tough game and couldn't throw it in the ocean. And, and there is no ocean. The best we got is uh, Big Surf. It's out uh, on the uh, east side where they do the man-made waves. So... That's all we can get. Although, the ocean, people think San Diego. No, 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 no. Rocky Point is like four hours away. It across the border. That's our ocean. It's always a misnomer. The Sea of Cortez? Well, it's called Rocky Point. And uh, it's a great game. Chris Paul, the greatest Phoenix Sun player of them all. In just less than one season. He <laughs> didn't even play a full 82-game season. Doesn't matter. If your finals MVP, that's what people want. That pull-up J is a work of art. Automatic. It is the finest thing we have going right now. It's the prettiest, most beautiful, artistic thing we have going in all of sport right now. Name me something that is more pretty or beautiful. You can't. It's a tough shot, and he makes it look like a layup. Phenomenal ball game. Hats off to Antetokounmpo coming back. That block that he had, extremely athletic. Uh, I don't think the series is over by any stretch. Um, but Will Giannis play better one. as he gets back in the um, gets what, back what, into what the is, flow of things? What is better? He looked tired late, and so I think when you're fatigued, is there 
A rebound you didn't get, a defensive play you didn't get, a shot you didn't make. But the game was over late. The game didn't get away from them late. The game got away in the third quarter. So he was tired then. Then it's over. I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. And I think he can play better. Yeah, maybe they uh, all Everybody, can. of course. Yeah. I mean, they, you can always say that but about every player. Crowder didn't shoot at a lick, so at some point yeah, he's he having a good game. He shot it off then. <laughs> zero for eight. <laughs> you know the expression. <laughs> means none of them went in. <laughs> so he'll have a game where he'll get his 15 or 20 points and you give like them a boost. You like to do that. What, what, what is going to translate? Who's going to play better next game? Who's going to play worse? Blah, blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. I mean, all, all that stuff flushes out. Uh, you, you do according to your averages. Crowder is a mediocre shooter. Right. So, so most of the games, he's going to be mediocre. So if he's bad, he's going to have a good one. Right. He has a good but one, if, they usually win. But you can play, you you just isolate one or two. The point being, everybody, you need to isolate every single player and then come to a conclusion, and that's too much work, and only nerds <laughs> like you would do it. Game two, tomorrow. Really? Yes. Better let my sisters know. You should. <laughs> and then we kind of get into like an every third day thing. I don't know what's going on there. but No need to condense it. down, yeah. I mean, f- as long as you finish by Labor Day, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> two, uh, weeks, two weeks from, what's today, Wednesday? Two weeks from tomorrow, I think, is when it would finish. If it went seven. If it goes seven. Seems a long time. It is, yeah. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver told reporters for the game the league's ability to get over 1 million fans into attendance during playoff games has helped stem financial losses. He says, we did somewhat better than initially projected. We don't have the exact numbers yet, but maybe we'll be down roughly a third in revenue, something around there, instead of 40%. So that's millions of dollars. Well, everybody is. Why should they be immune to it? And it's good news that they got them in, and let's get everybody in. I don't know. Have I heard of any fans dying? Have I heard of any? I don't know. They don't usually even they don't usually tell you the identity of a person, let alone where they've been or who they've seen or what they've done. I mean, you just don't get the backstory. Well, it seems like things. we in, uh, here last summer we were getting it all the time. A sixty-eight a person over sixty-two. Well, right, but you don't well, have well, their well, well, you, have, you know their you know their their age and their county. They still release that. There's thousands of people die every day. So. Saying where they've been and whether they went to the grocery store or to a game or wherever, I don't know. I don't think anybody does. I don't need to know. Play on. Well, you just asked if someone had died. It was rhetorical, my good oh, friend. I did not it. expect you to have an answer. I assume there was a little common sense there. My bad. Good. <laughs> Team USA coach Greg Popovich acknowledged the blowback. Is there a God? It came from the selection of Cleveland Cavaliers forward Kevin Love. What blowback? Jalen Rose? <laughs> That's the blowback? Jalen Rose? Apparently. <laughs> and Jalen Rose's daughter? <laughs> That's blowback, so I've got to respond to Jalen Rose? Uh, Greg Popovich did, apparently. Got asked about it. So, there you go. What did the woke man say? We're going to work his ass off the next four to five weeks and demand a lot. That's well, then good. he just quit. Definitely get him back. I don't want that. Get him back into the ribbon that he needs to be in to continue to play. I think that's one of the reasons he wanted to do this and get himself back to who he was. Yeah, he's been kind of off the radar for the last couple years. Team's not good and he's been hurt. Yeah. And there you go. 
The most notable thing he did was throw the ball out of bounds on purpose. Yeah, I remember that. Something was weird about that, yeah. Well, I hope he plays well. I mean, he's out in the U.S. I hope all the U.S. players play well. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. He's an NBA owner, a self-taught guitarist, and has guest starred in both The Office and Game of Thrones. Mm. He's unhappy with his boss and has no options. Who is Aaron Rodgers? Ding, ding. That is correct. Well done. It's a projection, Sam. I never said I'm unhappy with my boss. (laughs) I said it, not you. (laughs) Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, screwing around with Jeopardy. Did you watch some of the match? Going out there and golfed? You know, Big I've sky golfed, country, I've baby. golfed in a lot of mountain communities, Colorado, mm-hmm. Idaho, Wyoming, uh, obviously here in Utah, and man, that place up there was just absolutely spectacular. It was unbelievable. I want to go to Montana. It was like, <laughs> wow. That's, and I've never been to Montana. Uh, it's close enough. My, my family has, but they had a reason to go up there, but I didn't go. Uh, but man, wow, the scenery was just spectacular. I played a lot of mountain courses over the years. I don't think I've ever seen anything. And usually like that, it doesn't translate as well on television. Like if you take a picture of something, it's, if you see it in person, it just it seems like it's much better in person than any photograph you can take, even if the photograph is spectacular. And to see that on the television screen watching that thing I, I mean I was paying zero attention to the actual golf <laughs> I'm just looking at the scenery from the overhead shots and on the tee and all man they had a lot of those tee shots framed to show you the scenery more than the golf yeah the guys I, are a little tiny down at the bottom but man those mountains at the top of the screen were framed perfectly the folks in Montana have just got to love this I, what an advertisement I, prefer, I wish it would have been tonight. I would have been able to hone in on it a little bit more because when the game started, you I had to bail over. out. Yeah. yeah, and so I did watch it. I, I would prefer it would have been tonight on on a non-finals night. Uh, I don't know what those ratings are, but I never care about that stuff. I just watch what I watch, and if somebody else doesn't want to watch it, it doesn't matter to me. But I would have loved to watch it more because that place just looked like anything I have ever seen. Now, they were playing at 7,500 feet, so the distances they were giving were just, it was crazy, and there's a lot of elevation change on the hold. So, but when you hear DeChambeau taking a three-wood to a 392-yard hole, that, 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 it, was yeah, like, it was like, this doesn't even compute. But I didn't care. Because the scenery just wowed you. Yeah, and showing the, the bear was over there and the yeah. red fox running around. Just all the stuff that you saw on television really was just spectacular. The golf is an exhibition game. They're out there to have fun. And, and obviously Tom Brady and the Rodgers can play the game or they wouldn't be out there in the first place. That doesn't surprise me at all. So many athletes and people who have money and free time and a lot of it, they get hooked on golf. We've seen it a million times over. James Worthy is hooked on golf now. He took it up. I read a thing in Golf Digest about him and how he just can't get enough of it. And we know Darren Williams. On and on, these guys do that. It gets in your blood, and you try to conquer it. Obviously, MJ is a fanatic about it. So I expected those guys to be able to handle themselves a little bit. And when they hit balls OB, you didn't really mind. Whatever, they're trying to crush it. 
Oh yeah, it's not it's not really yeah. real golf. It's almost like down the, in Mesquite, it, the world driving yeah. deal. So yeah. I, I wasn't that I wasn't really phased by that. I expected that, but I was just overwhelmed by the scenery. New England Patriots wide receiver, Nikhil Harry, former Sun Devil, said he's requested a trade. First round pick in New England, never really taken off. His agent says, following numerous conversations with the Patriots, I believe it's time for a fresh start and best for both parties. If Nikhil moves on before the start of training camp, that's why I've informed the Patriots today. I'm formally requesting a trade on behalf of my client. So we'll see if they deal him and what they get for him. Well, he's been a disappointment relative to... His draft status. eh, Sure, I I was going to say to the just sensational play he had in college. Man, he was... Devils shoulders. had a lot of great receivers over the years, yep. and he literally could have been maybe, maybe the best. You know, they've had some spectacular guys, but yeah, he made such just unbelievable plays. So I expected more out of him. He's not a burner, uh, but he's got size. I expected more out of him. He's been injured, so I don't know. Maybe he gets traded and has a better opportunity somewhere. Better quarterback play, maybe help him. Yeah, Cam Newton wasn't throwing the ball down the field, and they said the shoulder was fine. But no, he we had Tom, Tom like Brady it. too. He did have Tom Brady. Tampa Bay Buccaneers corner Cameron Kinley has been granted his request to delay his Navy commission and play football this fall. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin announced a statement that he approves of a plan by the Department of Navy to enlist Kinley in the inactive ready reserve for the duration of his football career. His initial request for a delay of his commission had previously been denied. Seems like this is new. When you go to the academy, you didn't get to delay that stuff. Uh, right? I think it's been out there before. Under a yeah. former president, they had revamped the rules to allow these guys to be, I guess, quote unquote, recruiters while they were playing yeah. in the NFL. Who's the, the stud quarterback went to Miami? What was his name? He's off the charts for Navy a couple years back. Oh, Malcolm Perry. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he got it. Yeah, he got. He was able to go and yeah. play. There's been a few of them. There's been a few right. from Army recently that have been able to go right into the NFL. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Dan Lambert, owner of the American Top Team Gyms, a longtime Miami Hurricane football fan, has offered every scholarship player on the Miami football team a monthly payment of $500 this year to advertise his gyms on social media. America Top Team is a home training facility for more than two dozen professional fighters, including UFC regulars. Uh, I can't Jorge say Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal? And, yeah. okay, I was struggling and Amanda Nunez. Amanda Nunez, yes. Lambert's offer to the Hurricanes, which could add up to $540,000 this year, is the largest reported sum for a college sports endorsement deal since the NIL rules changed July 1st. Over half a million for Miami football players. Right, but only 500 bucks a piece. A month. Um, that, that, that didn't move the meter at all for me. I expect way more of some of these kids. I expect way more will be on the way. Who has a problem with that? I'm totally fine with it. Oregon's losing a starting linebacker to SMU. Isaac Slade, Matatia. How'd I do, Yak? Matatia, yeah. Matatia. Entered the portal. He's out. Led Oregon in tackles 45 last season. So there you go. 
Going to Sonny Dykes, SMU, did Oregon, former Cal coach. Did Oregon recruit over the top of him? They got more linebacker studs well, ready got to go. The kid from here. Jim Sewell. Levitt, the former Oregon defensive coordinator, is down there as D.C. And the former well. South Florida head coach? Correct. Mm-hmm. And he was at uh, Colorado, too. I think you just said yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Levitt's been around. Yeah, I mean, they're... I don't know the individual circumstance, but I don't think that uh, Oregon's going to lack for talent. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. The pitch to Kutch. Swing and a high fly ball. Right center field. Pretty deep. Going back on it is Hap to the wall. He looks up and it is gone. A grand slam for Andrew McCutcheon here in the first. 1-1 pitch. Belton to deep left field. The Royals have won it. Perez got a pitch to hammer, and hammer it he did. And the Cincinnati Reds have handed the Royals a victory. The 0-1. Outside, off the catcher's mitt. Marte breaks for third. The throw on a bounce gets away. Marte gets up. He's running home. He's going to go with a headfirst dive, and he scores! The Marlins walk it off! Marlins win. Steal third. Ball gets away, sprint home, and that's the difference in the 10th inning. The wild pitch in the air. Marlins 2-1 over the Dodgers. Giants also get beat. Cardinals 6-5. Adam Wainwright is rolling. I can't say that. Wainwright is rolling. He grew up on Wedwood Road, too. Wedwood Road. What is fourth straight decision in the series opener? So the Padres pick up a game on both as they play some long ball with the Nationals. Will Myers, Homer, and driving in five runs as the Padres win 7-4. to four. A fine night. Yes. Catch of the night. You like? Uh, we've seen a lot of guys dive on the warning track, but Billy Hamilton in a downpour of the mud. That was a little slip and slide out there. Fastest guy in the big leagues, yeah. Good diving catch for him. White Sox beat the Minnesota Twins 4-1 to one in that one. The Cubs issues continue. They lose again. Phillies. Bryce Harper, Andrew McCutcheon, Reese Hoskins become the fourth in franchise history to homer and drive in four RBIs each. They beat the Cubbies 15 to 10. Drive in four runs batted in? Yes. <laughs> Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> Shohei Otani not coming through at the plate. Bases loaded. Didn't clear him. Yeah. But they were up 5-2, to two and he was on the mound dealing, and they went 5-3. to three. So it didn't matter that he left him loaded in the sixth because he went seven strong innings. He's gonna, he did have a he did have a, uh, a two-run double. He's going to be the show next week in Colorado for this all-star thing, man. Without question. I mean, the home run thing, he's going to participate. Boy, he must be just cashing in big time in Japan because uh, you know, the, the way they cover their stars... And he, right now, is the brightest star in all of big leagues. Uh, all of the big leagues, I think. Not just Japan, but I mean, the entire sport. You know, and Madden wants him to pitch and hit. And so he's told the, the Rays manager, Cash, because he, he you know, the, the World Series guys get to manage the game. So he'll have that opportunity. And uh, two days full of Shohei Otani in the home run deal and then in the game itself. All show A, all the time. Is he surpassing what Babe Ruth did? 
Yeah, Babe Ruth didn't do this. It wasn't an all-star game when, when Babe Ruth was pitching. And then he got out of pitching. And I don't think this kid's getting out of pitching. And he just turned, he think he turned 27 20 days ago. Yeah. This, this very week. So, wow, if he can stay healthy, it's great to see, man. It's exciting. It's a story. We all love stories. We've said that a million times. It's a, it's a fresh story. Nobody has been able to pull this off. And he had the injury early, but he's pulling it off. Sure, absolutely, yeah. He's must-see if you're, inter- if you're into the sport at all. Bees wrapping up in Oklahoma City with a 4-1 win over the Dodgers, and they open a six-game homestand against the Sacramento Rivercats tomorrow night. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Barry Trammell, sports columnist for the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com, will join us next to talk bees in Oklahoma City. No, he won't. <laughs> He'll join us at 8 o'clock to talk NBA as we tour the Western Conference, see where these teams are going, and along the way get a few more picks. And the I want to see finals. what he thinks about the uh, NIL, too, because he's obviously right down the street from the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think if anybody's going to cash in, Oklahoma might be able to get it rolling, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're one of the superpowers. And so, you know, what does this mean? Those guys, their rattler, their quarterback, is you know, he's a massive celebrity. He might be the biggest celebrity in the state right now because the basketball team isn't on top of the world by any stretch. You know, Westbrook and Durant and Harden are long gone. So what does that mean? How much can he roll in? Because he's a dynamic player. Of course, he's from... Phoenix area, but uh, we'll overlook that. Uh, that uh, you would think that if any individual player could cash in, it would be Rattler. We'll talk with Barry Trammell coming up at eight o'clock. Corbin Kafusi, offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers, a BYU guy. Yak was telling me all about his uh, putting on the pounds, the weight transformation. Game. Transformation is the word. What did he play college basketball at? Two sixty. 240, 250, played football 260, 270. We could all talk about weight gain. We don't need him to do it. <laughs> he's, put on, he's put on an impressive amount of weight, though. He can explain. All right. Corbin Kafusi coming up at 9.05. DJ and PK with the question of the day. Next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON, on your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 975-1280 the Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing, your locally owned roof repair experts. For a free quote and for all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. Question of the day. How much of a priority should the Utah Jazz make Mike Conley? Hi. How you doing? <laughs> Mike's up. Free agent time. Are you all in on Mike Conley? And Ryan says top priority. Who else can they? Who else are they going to sign? Considering they're already over the cap. That's rhetorical. The answer is no one. 
Well, I want Mike Conley back for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is that, to me, that I would think that that pretty well guarantees that you keep Joe Ingles. Because we know Mike's going to sit out a whole bunch of games. And Joe has done very well as a fill-in starter for Mike Conley. So you've got to have Joe on your team. I don't want, Obviously, we don't want Joe to be traded. We love the guys on our show, and we care about our first interests. Our interests first, I should say. And so from that perspective, it'd be a massive blow. It'd plus be a blow to the community. He really means something to this community. He's unlike any player that we've really ever had with the connection, particularly as a foreign guy. Now, a foreign guy who speaks the native tongue. So that's a little bit different. But uh, to see what Joe has done in the community... Uh, combine what he's done on the floor, and I think it's very important that he'd be on that team because you know Conley's going to be out a fair amount. That's just the way it is. And everything has a price, so what is the price? You know, you don't want to obviously get anywhere close to the 30-some million that he's been making the last few years. That's not the type of player he is, but I think, speaking of Conley, but I think Conley's very important in what they're trying to do. I would like to see them have an opportunity to run it back. Now, make some improvements, too. We don't necessarily need to run everybody back, but the core, the nucleus, and all that stuff, run it back and give it another shot. What do you think the price tag is on him? I'm assuming it's at least $15 million. So half? And, making. and depending on who wants him, and I've already read stuff that Dallas is interested and New York is interested. Well, there'd be plenty and, of teams you know. that'd be interested. That's not so a that, surprise. So maybe the price is, is it higher? you got some teams that can clear cap room. Will the price get to $20 million? Well, if they It's can, not our money, so. Hey! If they can ca- clear it. cap room, why can't you? Well, it'll be a little trickier for the Jazz because they have so much tied up in Gobert and Mitchell, and I don't think they're clearing that cap room. But if they do, then I guess. You, but I just don't see that, and I don't think you do either. Um, I wouldn't move them unless I get a guaranteed slam dunk deal. Then I would move anybody and everyone. But I don't. I don't see that happening. Maybe Gobert Mitchell. I'd be extremely hesitant to move him unless he was in his last year of his deal, and you had a Darren Williams type situation, and he let you guys know that he's not signing there. Which some guys, I think Paul George did that with Indiana, didn't he? And so, actually, and they ended up with uh, Old Depot and Sabonis, and Sabonis has made multiple all-star teams. So uh, that was a, a, a good thing for, it seemed like uh, Paul George didn't take the heat in the way that players who've gotten out of there have taken heat. And he let them know, and they made the best deal that they could make, which is a pretty good deal. So uh, as far as Conley goes, yeah, he's going to be on the market, and teams are going to go after him. So what do you decide? What can you do in terms of retaining him? I think it's an absolute must. I mean, you can't let him walk for free, can you? Unless you turn around and use whatever that you would have spent and so forth. The bottom line is improve your team. So however you can improve your team, if you're a fan, I don't think you care. You just want to see the team get better. Yeah, and I think that it's largely expected that if he does leave for somewhere else, they won't be able to use that money. They're over, so it's going to be a hit. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be any way out of that box. The salary cap situation is what's well, going to hurt I, you. I don't care. Improve your team. Ryan says we can't sign anyone close to his star power with our cap situation. We're going to overpay and be right to do so. Well, 
overpay? I mean, what is overpay? I don't know. He doesn't go into that. I mean, who isn't overpaid? Maybe one or two guys per team. Yeah, the guys who win the championship. I mean, Hayward makes 30-some million dollars. Hey-oh. I mean, we're near that. (laughs) And what he does. But that's the way of the world. That's why I love looking on Robin's Instagram and see where they've been. Turks and Caicos. I mean, guys like me, I'm lucky if I get to Turks, let alone and Caicos. Because they go to both places. You know what I mean? Winter. It's summer, fall, you name it. They're there. Yeah, it's great. Eric is against it. What kind of priority do they need to make Mike Conley? He says, not at all. I've been saying this for two years. Teams with the starting lineup. That includes a six-footer, 6'2", 6'4", and 6'7". They do not win championships. No team in the last 50 years has won with a lineup that small. Jazz need to focus on getting longer and more athletic. Well, what happened 49 years ago is completely and totally irrelevant now. The game's played differently. Yeah. And the game is played differently, but... Can you make enough threes to offset the length and athleticism? Well, and the teams that have length and athleticism, can they defend you? If that's the way you can improve your team, but simply getting rid of Conley doesn't guarantee you're going to get longer and more athletic. True story. So whatever it takes to improve your team, that's the bottom line. I, I, I don't think there's any great fan attachment with Mike Conley. He's barely been here. And so he came in essentially as a hired gun. And if he leaves, well, that's the way it goes too. So it's there I don't think if Conley were to leave, I don't think there'd be any big sentimental feeling of him departing. Would the team be as good? That's the bottom line. Yeah. And the answer is not without other significant moves because we saw them this year with him and without him, and they were better with him. Well, that's a no-brainer. Right. I mean, I would think every starter they have on the team, they're better with him. Or, I mean, why would you play somebody if you were worse with him playing? It doesn't make any sense. Every single player who played, you were better with that person speaking of the regular rotation. Or else, why would that guy be in the regular rotation? Scott said if they intend to trade a couple of other pieces for better defensive players, Mike's top priority. If they don't... He's a low priority. Mike and Mitchell's too small of a backcourt without other defensive upgrades. Jazz need to focus on 16-game moves, not 82-game moves. He's talking of the, the playoffs, obviously, with the yes. 16. Well, the lack of height caused them to lose? If they were just taller? When people switch everything... Do you have one guy who has a physical advantage to just score on his matchup? Either beat his man to the hoop or just score over him. So on the offensive end, I mean, those are your questions. With the, Now, defensively, are their guys just going to score over you? I don't think they, Jazz were scored over as much as guys just blew past him. You know, Marcus Morris was putting the ball on the floor and getting into the paint. Not the first guy you think of when you think of the Clippers blowing by you and trying to get into the paint. So while they are small by NBA standards, and I get that argument watching the games, that wasn't what beat them. 
Well, it's funny thing that you keep you talk about blowing by him, but that wasn't the thing that beat him. It was the shots from the perimeter going in. The very thing that they set their team up with was the thing that did him in. Now, blowing by you led to the open shot, but the shot still has to go in. Yep. If you were blowing by him and passing to Jay Crowder instead of Terrence Mann, he might still be playing. But Terrence Mann knocked him down. And their adjustments were weak. And I know we're not supposed to blame any anybody, but I blame everyone. I'm I'm completely and totally on board as you win as a team, lose as a team. So the coach, the players, everybody deserves the same amount of blame. If you're looking for answers as to why they lost, I don't single out anybody. I put them all together. Sir Utah man is going to make him a top priority. Bad injury luck does not mean this team peaked. Well, I want good injury luck to happen. That'd be nice. But uh, I don't think the team peaked. Uh, I can't say that, but I can't say they haven't either. But I think that I would be, I know I would be comfortable with giving it another run. Because I don't think this is the definition of sanity, expecting the same thing by doing different, the same thing and with different results. I think that this team proved over a good stretch, you don't win 20 of some 20 games unless you're pretty doggone good. And so, with or without the injuries, so be it. You can't control them anyway. Uh, So, I believe the talent is there. They never got to play the Suns, so it's hard to say. But I believe the talent was there to beat the Clippers. And that would have given them an opportunity to play the Suns, and I don't know what would have happened. I can just completely and totally guess. Uh, So, that's why I'm, I'm comfortable giving it another run. It's just, to me, it's not so much how much you're paying Conley, but how long you're bringing him back for. An excellent question that I knew we would get to. What, what's available? Because I don't think that those guys at this point, you're necessarily looking for an individual singular yearly salary that's more than what you made. Like Chris Paul, they're saying he's going to be making 40-something and he's going to opt out this year. Because he wants a longer deal. So he's not going to make $40 million this next season, but he'll make, say, maybe $60 million, so it would be a longer deal. Yeah. So that I think, I would assume, I don't know this, but I would assume Mike would be very open to a longer-term deal and who's going to give what. That, that, rather than the individual yearly, that's what makes me the most nervous as far as retaining him because if somebody says, hey, we'll give you a four-year deal, and, and the Jazz just don't feel comfortable giving that four-year deal. I mean, Mark Cuban didn't feel comfortable giving Steve Nash a longer deal. So what he does, he goes to Phoenix and he has two I'm, MVPs. I'm going <laughs> to – yep. I'm going to rewind to what you said earlier, though. What happened 49 years ago – just picking a random number uh, – doesn't matter now. The game is different. I thought they were untradeable contracts. I thought some guys were making so much money they couldn't be moved, and Chris Paul was one of them. And he's been moved twice. So all our notions of of who could be traded and can get out from under a contract, how has that not changed in five years? You can't argue that, and you can argue anything. But in the last three to five years, we're seeing bigger contracts traded. 
So, I mean, you can you can pay a star player forty million, and he can tear his ACL or it's ACL, his uh, Achilles, whatever. Yeah, and then you can move him because that's what happened with John Wall. So, if they do give him a year more than they wanted to, or two years more than they wanted to. Can they move him? Does it is that really that big an impediment? Uh yeah, but then you're getting into some age issues too. So the guys you mentioned, Westbrook, Harden, Wall. Now Paul's already been moved at an older age, but the other guys were younger and still argue prime playing opportunities. Wall seems like he's been injured for three years. Harden obviously had the injuries this year. Westbrook manages to get his triple double no matter what he does. Not necessarily winning, but the stats are there. Uh, so, you know, can you trade? So he's what? He'll be 34. When will he be 34? Or is he already 34? You know, so I'm looking at a four-year deal. Mike Conley turns 34 in October. Okay, so pretty much the start of the season. Yeah, October 11th. Oh, right so, yeah, so, yeah, so he'll play next season at 34. So the whole season, that that's a nice uh, round way. So each season is a, that it comes upon as he turns a year older. So suppose somebody offers him a four-year deal. Uh, and at 37, what would it be? It, with an injury history, I don't necessarily think that his game would have a massive decline. It would decline some, most likely. Maybe not. But in the way he plays... He's not a big athletic dude relying on just pure God-given athleticism, so to speak, if you want to believe that. Uh, you know, he, he knows how to play the game, the floater, the right hand, all the stuff. You wouldn't think that would be a marked decline necessarily from one year to the next simply because your age changes a number. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what's he going to be able to contribute combined with the injuries? What you don't want, and the Jazz have had a few, as have probably a lot of teams we focus on here, what you don't want is to be in a situation where, oh my gosh, can't wait till we get out of this contract. Ostertag, Karolinko. You know, it's like we're just waiting until the contract was over. And really favors. I mean, they paid favors a lot of money, and I don't think he gave him the production. No. You can say he won that series, and I realized you were trying to pump up your guy in a public setting, which happened, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or two years ago. Uh, but I think we're all waiting for that contract to get over because they didn't get the value for it. But they could move him. Yeah, it wasn't that outrageous. Right. But yet he was in his 20s. He wasn't 37 years of age. So I guess the biggest question, because I, I think they're going to go after him hard, and I think they have to. The fact that they're kind of kind of in this, what is the term, in the salary cap, in, in the cul-de-sac, there's no way out. If they lose him, they're not going to be able to spend that money on somebody else. You're not replacing Well, yeah, but you don't necessarily you bring replace one for one. You do other deals that creates an opportunity for your team to get better. So if they lose Conley, they don't been player XYZ to replace him. It could be you move you move two or three other guys then and you bring somebody back that way to replace him. And it could that could happen. 
But it doesn't seem like that's where they're headed. Well, no one's headed anywhere now. They're headed somewhere. They're just quiet about it. Then All every- eyes are on the finals. But the 28 other teams, they're talking. Well, I mean, they have ideas of what they're going yeah. to do and what they want to do. Sure, yeah. And it would make complete sense that they would push to resign him. It's just, I, I'm not so concerned about the money. It's the years. How far out do you want to go? How long do you want this marriage to be? Not how much, but how long? I expect you'll end up getting a three-year deal. Three? Yeah. I would, I would take him back for three. Four would make me a little nervous. Four would, and somebody might go there. I think somebody will go there. Really? You think it's high odds? That he gets an opportunity to sign somewhere on a four-year deal? That would not surprise me at all. So is he going to prioritize that or uh, how close he can get to a championship? Well, the next guy who doesn't prioritize money will be the first one. (laughs) You can say what you want about that and don't tell him it's not about the money. I mean, I just don't pay attention to that. That doesn't mean the highest priority because he's got a mansion apparently in Columbus. And that's according to Joe. All I saw is his gym when they did the one on or the, the horse, horse thing. Yeah, we all saw it. Yeah. Because there was nothing to watch at that and point. So, and it, he should be. He's made, you can look it up. I mean, he's made millions of dollars. Uh, he but, was the uh, first quote-unquote max yeah. player. Who am I to tell somebody don't prioritize money? I would never. You never mess with anybody else's money. Never. That's their call, their decision, whatever it might be. Uh but I, I think that I don't know that he's going to find a better opportunity than here in terms of prioritizing winning the ship. So what do they believe as far as keeping him healthy? Ray says, don't prioritize him much. He can't stay healthy. Love the guy in his game, but I've yet to see a player defender score from the bench. Hashtag time to move on. I thought not playing him in the back-to-backs was working and that was going to keep him healthy, and it did right up until the time it didn't. Right when it was most crucial at the end of the year. Well, if you can make your team better, let them go. If you can't, bring them back. It's got to be more than that. I mean, you probably got to prioritize them and say, hey, we want you back. Right then, ah, we can't get anybody else. You want to, so we'll, we'll, we'll take <laughs> you back, Mike. Probably not that, your best line. That's not the message. Everyone has an ego and wants to be loved. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James, Facebook, DJ and PK. Use your phone. Use the app. Use the open mic feature. Send us your takes. We'll get to those coming up. NBA Finals underway. Game one reaction next. And Barry Trammell, sports columnist from the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com. The Oklahoma City rebuild and the Sooners and the Cowboys and name, image, and likeness. How are they rolling that out? We'll get to that with him coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. It's a Win Ticket Wednesday on the Zone Sports Network. It's a Win Ticket Wednesday right here. Win. Listen all day for the Win Ticket Wednesday sounder for your chance to win tickets. What? Who authorized that? To all the biggest concerts, games, and other great events here in the state of Utah. It's a Win Ticket Wednesday right here. Right here. Right here. Right here. Woo! On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. PK, what you got a little, uh, you got a little artsy. Started thinking about beautiful things, paintings, and, and you came sunsets. To mind. DJ, not true. <laughs> Chris Paul's mid-range J is a thing of beauty. It really is. Dare you to name anything prettier in sports? Right now, zero. Some things in sports are eternal. The Jordan fans are going to say that Jumpman logo soaring through the air, the ball out. Right now, I'm and talking about. I'm doing ta- that right I'm talking now. Talking about right now. It's on the bottom of your shoes right now. I'm talking about as we speak. Not historically. Well, that's going to disappoint David because he said Ted Williams swing, Willie Mays basket catch, Walter Payton's run, Kareem skyhook, <laughs> oh, Steffi Graf forehand, Simone Biles floor routine. He's got one right now. I don't pay attention. Anything that's judged by humans, I'm I'm out. Sorry. Travis says Michael Jordan's game winners. Okay, but that's not now. Talking about now. You didn't write that in the question. So they are going old school. Mike says Freddie Couples swing. Freddie Couples? Yep. I would argue that that's right there with any of them. Parker, here's a right now for you. Steph Curry's three-point shot. That's pretty. I don't think it's prettier than Chris Paul with the ball, figuring out what the defense has given me, what I can take, and then doing He has to arch his body back a little bit. Create a little space to get that thing off. Everybody's shooting threes. Hardly anybody, if anybody, is doing what... Chris Paul is doing. Who's more reliable in the mid-range game than Chris Paul? Nobody. Yeah. I mean, that is the lost art. We hear dunks and threes. So that that's dog bites man. This is man bites dog. It is a thing of beauty. It is art. And you know it's going in. It's amazing, man. And you know it's coming, and you know it's going in. Steph Curry, for all of his three-point shooting prowess, when does he lead the league in three-point shooting? He's a volume guy. He's not going to. Well, yeah. It's funny that a numbers guy just pushes aside the numbers. No, you just pick a different number. I don't understand that. So you make more threes. You don't shoot them at as high a percentage. Why? Because you take more, that means you miss more? That doesn't make any sense. If you're that good, why would it necessarily mean because I take more, that means I miss more? That doesn't make any sense to me. If you're that good, why would it mean if you take more, you make more? Because you're practicing that shot way more than everybody else because you take more. Boy, that didn't take any effort to debunk that. Would you rather have him go three for five or would you rather have him go... Six for 15. I'd rather have Chris Paul taking the mid-range because it's the most beautiful thing we have in the game of basketball right now. That's where I'm arguing. I'm not arguing Steph Curry. 
That's your argument. You can win or lose that with yourself. I don't care about that. Jacob says a John Daly smoke and swing. It's his idea of beauty. Only if Daly was shirtless, then I would say. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I could see all the parts kind of moving. <laughs> <laughs> In various directions. <laughs> now let's take a look at the slow-mo replay. <laughs> that's another thing, too. I mean, hitting the ball far, that's not fresh. Everybody does it. Darren says he's the MVP of the playoffs so far. I'm shocked by what he's done this postseason. I could argue that. Shocked? Shocked seems a bit strong. Surprised? Just think about it. Even when he was with OKC last year, I think he made the all-star team. So at 35. He's had good playoff runs before. They've ended in injury. Yeah, man, you just hope he can stay healthy for three, at least three more opportunities. I don't care if you hate the guy, but do you, re- you want to see him go down with an injury this close? No. Matt says Shohei Otani for one. Shohei Otani. All right. The lefties look so smooth. I don't think he has a traditional left-handed swing. In the way we've seen the the greatest swings in the game of baseball historically are usually from the left-handers. I will agree with that a hundred percent. For what for whatever reason, uh, maybe because it's predominantly right-handed pitching, I don't know. But I always thought Will Clark had a beautiful swing. He wasn't an all-timer; he's a very good player. But yeah, lefties. Uh, they they tend to be a little more uh, fluid or what for whatever reason. Aaron Rodgers improvising from the pocket on a hail mary. Well, you don't improvise from the pocket if it's improvisation. You're out of the pocket. You don't have to be. You'd be bouncing around, <laughs> finding space in the pocket. That's just a Packer fan who wants to see Aaron Rodgers throw a touchdown pass. But when you think of improvis- improvisation, if I'm saying it correctly, usually there's, it's more likely to be out of the yeah. pocket. You're making something up, and you're running around, and you're not sure, am I going left, am I going right? Usually the wall, the improvisation comes because the pocket has collapsed. If the pocket is intact, then the play that you drew up with one, two, three options is usually still intact because you're in the pocket. The protection is holding. When I hear improvisation now, and I'm thinking quarterbacks, I'm thinking Mahomes rolling left and shot putting the ball into the end zone. I'm thinking Taysom Hill hurdling, taking off, which we will see at an all-pro level this year. Mark my words. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Barry Trammell, sports columnist for the Oklahoman and NewsOK.com. We're talking NBA with him, Oklahoma City Rebuild, the finals, and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, name, image, and likeness. Can they really get ahead with this? I mean, they're Oklahoma. They're pretty far ahead already. Maybe they feel like they're chasing Bam and Clemson. Maybe this is going to pry kids away from Clemson. We'll get to that with Barry next on 97.5, 1280 The Zone.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Told you. The mosquitoes are swarming. There's another bite. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about earlier this morning how we know so many pro athletes who've got money and time in the offseason and just get snipped and bitten and all that stuff. Because we were talking about how well Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers played and entertained us, even if they... Spray to drive because everybody was gripping and ripping. Oh, you imagine it being televised too. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> First off, the nerves I'd have if I were in a foursome with Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. I told you the first time. Well, the only time I played with Mike Weir, I tripled the first hole. I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. And then I, that's the, what we like to refer yeah. to as normal. The 17 other holes. You settled down and you were fine. Either bogeys or pars. Yeah. But the first one was a triple. <laughs> but I think I think all those I think all those guys are used to that kind of stuff. And I've read stories about them trying to calm people down at, at pro ams oh, by yeah, telling yeah, them yeah. about other screw ups they've seen. Well when I approached the range, I saw Mike was at the rut driving range and I went to the next slot. My back was to him, but he could see me. Because I knew he would be thinking, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> so I knew he would be watching me yeah. at the driving range. And I took out my 7-iron, which I feel the most comfortable with, and hit a few of those. So then he could think, okay, this guy's, you know, he's not great, but he's not going to be just embarrassing us. And yeah. it would be a miserable afternoon. And and he did say, oh, you're hitting it well. <laughs> Mike gave me approval, man. That's like uh, the highest recommendation or compliment I've ever had. So we're talking about how many, so many of these guys golf gets into your blood, and we named them Darren Williams. I told you I read a thing in Golf Digest on James Worthy, Byron Scott. And now? Uh, and now Kyle Van Oy tweeted out uh, yesterday, Man, the golf bug is real. It's something about every shot that's a challenge. I love it. Who else got it bad? It is so real. It's true. It is real. And now Kyle, obviously, he's got it. I don't know where he's spending his off seasons, if he's in town or exactly where he's living, if he kept his home in the in the Northeast now that he's back with the Patriots, I don't, or maybe in Nevada where he's from, I don't know. But the golf bug has gotten him. Yeah. And it's hard for these guys because they can't devote the time year-round to make improvements. Like James Worthy and Byron Scott and Darren Williams, they can do it anytime they want. They're retired as players. But coaches, Here you get a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah, you get yeah. a little better. Yeah. You and start you, to get – and then, up oh, time to put the clubs away. i got to go back to work. Right. The main gig's back. Right. Right. I know there's a coach in town who does – I have several coaches, but I know – well, I know multiple – that have ta- literally talked to me about it, how it is in their blood, but then they got to put it aside for Utah X State. Of months. Utah State has a new staff, so I don't know about them, but we both know firsthand from doing remotes and doing interviews that the Utah, the BYU, and the Weber State staffs all have accomplished golfers to the degree that you can get it before they have to put it away, and they're, they're all like, "Yeah." Until you get retired, that's just the way it's going to be. Oh, and I've talked to them, uh, several of them, about retiring. What do you do, man? I'm going to try to play a lot of golf. I always heard that uh, one where, well, how much can you can golf? And it's usually said by non-golfers. 
I was driving in this morning and John Barry was doing an interview. He's calling the games, I guess, for radio for mm-hmm. uh, uh, ESPN. Mm-hmm. And so they had him on. And uh, what are you doing up so early? I got a 525 tea time at True North. <laughs> and then I was telling Yach about this before you got here. And then he says, and then I'm going to take a little break. And then I'm going to go play 18 in Paradise Valley. <laughs> She's playing 36 today. Now the Not second, too hot. Not too hot for him. The second one will be hot. Now, the yeah. first one this morning, it's pro, It's usually in the mid-80s, uh, you know, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. So that's the reason. He got a 525 because they're on uh, Pacific time now, even though the sun would be on mountain uh, daylight time. But the clock, so... If it gets light here at six, there it gets light at five. That's the point. So he had a five twenty-five out true and true north is out in North Scottsdale. I've played it. And so he's gonna get in thirty-six today. And he must have been up fairly late last night. And he said, the only reason why I'm doing this interview is because I'm on my way to the course. I gotta be up anyway. Or else if uh, so he's making fun. Or I'd be sleeping. But no, you got a five twenty five. So can you imagine the golf bug that is in John Barry's blood? He's gonna play eighteen and the second one it's gonna be 105, 110. No the problem. Thing you don't appreciate when you're playing sports at a young age is how many sports there's just a finite amount of time and you you can't do it. Golf, you can. Tennis, you can. That's why you like pickleball. I think pickleball better than tennis. Less movement, smaller court, right? Yeah. 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 You only have to watch someone snap their Achilles once <laughs> to think, oh, I might need to dial some of this back. Any sport where you're starting and stopping and running and jumping, it's awesome when you can do it. But there's going to be a point where you can't. Well, me and my buddies, we still play tackle football on the weekends. You really don't. (laughs) Put on the pads. Let's go. You really don't. (laughs) Well, you still with the Daily Breeze. Have a turkey bowl? Uh, Not, no. Not Thanksgiving Day. Just we'd get together. We're going to play football Saturday, 10 a.m. And so we'd get the guys out, and we'd play tackle with no equipment or whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but I mean, I'm in my 20s. Right. So, so. My, my younger brother is in his 20s right now. Yeah. I was talking to him. This is probably three months ago now. All of a sudden, he's like, hey, do you want to go play tackle football? And I, I looked at him and said, no. no. Yeah. So he went and practiced for the first time, came home with a concussion. I said, congratulations. <laughs> this is not working. Yeah, out. we're young and dumb. And so we would play tackle. And then, say, like the next Saturday, we'd go uh, – somebody had a gym at Redondo uh, High School, our key to the gym, I should say, and we'd go play hoop. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we always – we played softball twice – or uh, two leagues, uh, except for like uh, January to March we didn't play. So we would just play all these sports. And at one time, we, when we played football – we did it multiple times, but somebody filmed it, and it was so funny to watch because, I mean, we're we're in our twenties and we're all thinking all that. Nope. It seemed like we were in slow motion, yep. like it was John Vicenda announcing it in slow motion, and I thought I was booking it, man. I know. <laughs> it looks so slow. Even even worse in in so you're uh, you're out of college. 
in college playing intramural basketball, if you got to the – and you see Santa Barbara, there's tons of leagues. So they had like four different levels. So at our level, which was high school guys, and you couldn't have any 6'6 six, six players or any 6'4 guys or anything. So it was short high school guys playing. So we win our league, we get in the playoffs, and they film the final game, and we win it. And so we get this then VHS copy of the tape. Nobody really has VHS machines at this point. You can go to Pizza Bob's, and they will, if you order pizza, they'll Should play it, be it for Bob's you. Bob's Pizza? It was Pizza Bob's. Kind of backwards. There. Yeah, right? So, so we're there, and we're at the place where we watch NBA playoff games. And you got the pizzas, and it's, uh, and it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You got to get in there before the games are going and people are there, right? And so <laughs> they put it, they start playing. And we're all pumped up to watch ourselves win this big game. It's exactly what you say. Slow motion. And I had just been watching high school video a couple years earlier. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've fallen so far so fast. Oh, you were there though. <sighs> At a new lower level. That's See, I was I never was. there. I can't say I've fallen because I never got anywhere. It was terrible. It was horrific. <laughs> 21, 22 years old. And we're all already moving in slow motion. And that's where golf fits in. Uh-huh. It's something. I get just enough good shots to keep you coming back. To me, it is the most addictive sport out there. Because there's always one more thing to work on. A number of things. Or to fine-tune, or to rediscover. Yeah, exactly. You name it. Uh, Whatever it might be. I went down to St. George over the weekend, uh, celebrate the 4th, so we get down there, f- do the show Friday, get down Friday afternoon. Uh, should we go play? Should we go play? Yeah, let's, let's, that's kind of warm. Uh, well, let's just go. We'll do nine. So I go to Coral Canyon. I birdie the first three out of four. Let's play a team. <laughs> we ain't playing just nine today. <laughs> I ain't even started. I'm already sucked in. So I shoot even on front, which really bugged me because number nine's a tough par four for me to par because I'm not very long whereas eight is a real shorty and I'm thinking okay I par this one bogey the next I'm one under I'm jumping for joy right well of course mentally gets in my mind and I yank the drive and it's right in the weeds to where I all I can do is just pitch I can't I can't take a full shot so I bogey that and then, I, of course, I bogey nine. So, But you're right. At that point, I can't quit. Well, then we go out the next day. And in and, and the, the front nine, I'm eight over. Eight. One day later. What's the difference? Started thinking about the score. Why is one day Start thinking about less the score. than 24? Because we went in the morning. So it's less than 24 hours. Started thinking about the score. The golf <laughs> is, is just, it is everything that, that, encapsules all things athletically combined with mental. And it is just, it's, I can't even explain it. I don't know how to explain it, how it gets, how you get in a groove. Yesterday we had our men's league, right? We do nine over at River Oaks. I couldn't miss a putt. Why? 
and I'm sure next week I won't be able to make a putt. Yeah. <laughs> What's only the if explanation? You're like, only if you're like everybody else who plays golf. But it is so just it's it is really the ultimate mind boggling. And I use the word mind. I'm I put the word mind in there specifically. It's not a you know, a mind boggling is a phrase. Well, I'm using mind on purpose. I don't know how those guys do it, how they concentrate, how they're able to play at high levels, how they bounce back from bad shots. Uh, just the grind that a four-day, 72-hole guy. And then we see there's overtime now. Last couple of... Uh, Five what? holes and eight holes. Yeah. Last couple of weeks. Sudden death. Yeah, and I'm watching that thing Sunday. I, I don't know if you were in the office. If you were, I was. probably watch. And I was, I was getting entertaining watching the fat guys run from uh, the green to the next. <laughs> you see, they're trying to book it, right? And they're all running, <laughs> trying to get a good spot. <laughs> this one guy, I thought, dude, you're going to have a heart attack here, man. Take it easy. <laughs> These are two relative uh, no names that are competing here. And uh, that was fun to watch. And all the stuff that it encapsulates. I can see why Kyle Van Noy, I don't know his background. I mean, I know his background in life, but I don't know if he played golf as a kid or if he's it's now just, just discovering it. Yeah. And he's got to be about 30 by now, right? Yeah. And so now is this, is it now getting into his blood? Because if it's in Kyle's blood, it's not going away. It's going to be there the rest of his life. Good call on 30. He turned 30 in March. And it will be there the rest of his life. Yeah. And in the NFL as a linebacker, first off, you made it to 30, so that's awesome. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But how many more You know, how many more years are there? At some point here, you're going to have a lot more free time, and you're going to be able to play it year-round in a way you can't now. The clubs have to go away. Uh, yeah. They, but he'll be able to jump into the deep got, end of the pool and just keep playing. They got about three more weeks before camp opens, right? Usually uh, end of July. Uh, so, yeah. So he's. It wouldn't surprise me if Kyle literally is playing four or five times a week between now and the time he's got to report. Because when it, it when it gets in your blood, and if it's not in your blood, I think it's hard to understand. Like Malone used to say, pasture land, you remember? Yeah. It's a waste of pasture land. Well, it obviously it wasn't in his blood. No, it wasn't. It was a good line. Yeah. Yeah, he's a country guy, obviously, and likes to do yeah. all that stuff. And he was all interview team. He, he could, yeah. He could drop lines. It was a good line. Right. I agree. Yeah. It was a good line. But he didn't understand but, it because he, he wasn't exposed to it right. as a kid. Yeah. But meanwhile, he had, uh, he had teammates who had the bug. Jeff Hornacek was a good golfer. Yeah. If it gets if it gets in, that I don't. I wonder if there's another sport that's as addictive or an activity. If you don't want to consider it, this some people don't. They want to argue. That, well, you that, love whatever you love, and you can get way into whatever you get way into. Yeah, but you just said though. Going what, back, you're not at forty five fifty. You're probably not yeah. running out. You're not running out of game. I can go to the field house when you're in college. There was a, Do I want to study today or want to go to the field house and play ball? <laughs> well, if it was me, you knew the answer, right? So I played basketball a ton. Yes, I'm with you. But then that goes away. It this doesn't to. go away. I was in a I was in a uh, charity basketball game, and I was probably early 30s. 
and Ron Boone was coaching the media chair of the team, at, and we were playing at Slick. I don't remember what it was for or whatever. And we were playing another team that was uh, like some civic group. I don't know what it was, Kiwanis, Rotary, whatever. And there was a guy on the other team who was clearly older than Ron, and Ron was probably in his uh, He's playing early 50s. The guy who was older than Ron was playing. playing. Ron is not playing. Right, I got you. And and I'm just and, and he and I were doing radio together at that point, um, so I was actually probably mid to late thirties. And he uh, and I and I was giving him a hard time, like, "Come on, Booner, you know you want to be out here. You could light us all up. You know you could." And he kind of looked at me, and he smiled, and he goes, "I'm not taking the bait. <laughs> I'm not taking the bait." And uh, he said, "You get to be my age, you got to protect the Achilles." And like twenty minutes later. That guy went out to challenge the shot, the older guy on the other team, and he went down, and Ron looked at me and said, Achilles. And they helped him off the court. I told you so. Unbelievable call by him. I had never considered it, and I started considering it. <laughs> right, so that's why. It, yeah. It, it, so I think may, the thing golf has is. as a fan, but not as a participant. So I think the thing golf has is people who play basketball and realize, oh, I can't play basketball anymore, I'm going to tear my Achilles. They go to golf. People who play football and like, yeah, because like, yeah, I don't need a concussion. Oh, I they migrate to golf. You got people from baseball, like you played high school baseball, migrating to golf. Your shoulder, yeah, that's not happening. You're just not going to throw a baseball the way you did when you were 17 years old. DJ and so you got all these sports, uh-huh. and everybody's migrating to golf because that's what left. You don't have to run and cut and jump, and it's not happening. You'd be proud of me because I used the, I used your exact line. I don't want to tear an Achilles, <laughs> right? Plus the idea of a good shot. Oh, it's great. It's like a great meal. I'm not going to put it on the level of something else. but you There know. you go. <laughs> <laughs> like a good movie. Yes. Right. Yes, that exactly. was obviously what you were talking about. Yeah, I'm not going there. No. It's not Godfather for me here. The third one's been playing a lot while I've been channel surfing during games. I didn't really like the third one, except for when the helicopter attacks. That was pretty good. Handcuff the doors together. Yeah, yeah, but the, I think the problem with the third one is the first two were so good. Yep. So it couldn't it couldn't compete. It's like whoever really follows us in the morning. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, it's amazing that the second one compared to the first one. I sure. mean, so many sequels come up short, and that just seemed... Seamless. Well, it's right there with taking one and taking two. Stop it. (laughs) DJ and PK, all right. Yach's still tracking down Barry Trammell. Make the magic happen, Yach. Corbin Kafuzi, offensive lineman for the 49ers, coming up at 9.05. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz. But the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA Draft to free agency and on to the summer league the zone will be with the jazz every step of the way as the jazz front office builds for the future your exclusive home of utah jazz basketball is right here on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The top 1660 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness right here on the Zone Sports Network. 
Talking to any of your college football sources? Getting any dirt for the upcoming season? Waiting to hear from Barry Trammell. Is there any chance that uh, there's a little miscommunication about the uh, the time zone or we're going to have two people at the same time? Said 905 Central, 805 Mountain. That works <laughs> okay. for me. We'll see how it works out. You hear anything? Or is it all quiet? Everyone's enjoying the last... Well, they can't well, really enjoy. Ju- they got to recruit. Well, July is a slower period. Yeah. As they gear up for the start, um, which is basically seven uh, seven days a week, countless hours. Once it's on, it's on. So I believe that there's uh, particularly, I don't know about Utah State because I don't, I don't know anybody up there, so it's going to take a little bit. Yeah. Although we're brothers from Jonesboro, Arkansas. There's only <laughs> one guy in the media who's been <laughs> to Jonesboro, that, Arkansas, you, you where tell Anderson is from. You're going to have to tell him golfing stories and all that. I have golfed in uh, Arkansas, <laughs> that's for sure, in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So, uh, yeah, so we'll have to see what they do. But I think that there is a ton of optimism for BYU and Utah. And I I see the it? optimism. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to shoot it down. No, no. Oh, no, no, not at all. I see the optimism. But I, but I also wonder, I'm trying to analyze myself as I think about these things. You know, I, and I want both teams to be successful. I've said that a million times. So how much of it is because uh, I really want these guys on these staffs to be successful? How much is a personal inclination slash bias to want them to be successful um, versus the talent that they have coming back? Now, I think that for, for BYU, the thing that has got me is excited – what, and I don't care that they didn't play anybody last year. Shut up about that. I'm sick of that. It's, <laughs> okay, you're going to have to explain that, though, because people okay. are not shutting okay, up about that. I will. Why I have the excitement for this year, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I have a theory that I think you'll buy, is that it, at BYU we know it takes longer because of missions and so yes. forth to get your guys and the get talent, your system. The and, talent pipeline is longer. And then they redid the offensive staff. And so that set it back a little bit, right? So it took a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Well, what we saw after they had the time and the coaches and everything, we saw five guys get drafted. Now, they would be drafted. Regardless it, of who you play. It wasn't because they were playing yes. Chico State. That's not why they got drafted. You're not drafting totally Zach Wilson, too, and, and Mill, and all these guys that got drafted. And then how many other guys? Was there seven other guys who signed free agent deals? It's 12 total guys. I mean, that's a lot of guys. And some of those guys are going to make teams because this is the NFL. It's a numbers game. And having undrafted guys make the NFL rosters is no big deal. It happens all the time. They even make Pro Bowls. So my point that I'm making here with the Cougars is that it took them time and continuity and all that stuff. And once they got to that point, they developed guys into the NFL. It doesn't matter what star they were. They were draftable players, NFL free agents, signable guys. At that point, your star system, you're four, five, six, seven years removed from whatever star somebody gave you coming out of high school. So it's completely and totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. So they developed the guys. So what I'm going with is that this now, I'm counting on now they've had other guys. They had a lot of DBs who got time because they had some injuries. 
injuries over the course of the years and so forth. So they've been on the field. So Gennaro Guilford and his guys and Tuiaki, they've been able to develop these guys. You see where I'm going with this? It's not about the competition. It's about the development because I can point to the pros. Now, if they wouldn't have had only Zach get drafted, I can't say that to the level of strength and conviction that I'm saying it now. They've had guys that the NFL wanted. That's a fact. You can't argue. It doesn't matter that they played whatever, some crappy school in Florida. It it, it doesn't matter. It's totally irregardless. So here, <laughs> they've got these guys that they developed. So I'm counting on this class now to be developed because they developed the prior class. You see where I'm going with that? That's got to make sense to you, doesn't it? It does, and that's why I was thinking that when you said you were optimistic, uh, you know me, I want to put a number on it. What? Who are you, and what have you done with David James? Eight wins? Nine wins? How optimistic are you? And the hitch you know, I haven't is, broken down every game. Well, and that's the hitches that I can't because BYU is an independent. And it's hard enough to follow a conference, but at least you're following it. And the stuff with the transfer portal happens so fast. And because last season was a mini season, we're going to have two classes worth of, of athletes developing and taking a jump forward. So I think there's plenty of unknowns in the Pac-12. But then when you take BYU playing teams all over the country, I just don't have a good feel for the quality of the opposition on about a third of their schedule. You know, Boise State's got a new coach. So even though we follow them closer because they're in the Mountain West and they play BYU and Utah State every year, it's just an unknown when you have a, bring a new coaching yeah, it staff is, in. but we know the, some of their they, players, there's and continuity made, there. And they've made this transition be before. Tough. And right. they got their butts kicked by the Cougars last year. Uh, so I'd be so, fired up about that. Yeah. So I mean, there's five Pac-12 teams, and, and I've got them. about Utah State and Boise. That's so, seven. So under Kalani, and granted, the talent's improving, so maybe the number isn't right. But under Kalani, they're basically 500. They're 500 ish against Power Five teams. And there's lots of stuff to throw in there. Who had a bye week and who had injuries and what quarterback was making their first start. I get that. But that's about 500-ish. And if you look, you know the Pac-12 right now. If I told you they were going 2-3 and three against the Pac-12, what would you say? It's about right, isn't it? I'd have to look at it uh, and examine it a little bit more. You think they're going to beat Arizona in the opener? Yeah, so, I said, so you say they're 500 against Power 5. How about crappy Power 5? Getting to my next point. Because they should be better against Arizona, those teams. Arizona and Washington State, totally winnable games. Tell me they're going to be underdogs against Utah, ASU, and USC. I buy it. Okay, Baylor, underdogs, but I think that they're winnable games. Every, every game on the schedule is winnable. Baylor and Virginia. you got to go to Baylor. Virginia's coming in. Baylor looks like a rebuild. Been a little messy. They're retooling their offense. Well, last year, yeah. Yeah. But last year... I refuse to make concisive judgments based on last year. And you'll be... Uh, for the negative, maybe from you, the positive. I think that's game seven. And so, obviously, we know they've got some new coaches down there. So, by game seven, will they be hitting their stride? That's, to You're me, it's a Baylor? huge unknown. Yes. Oh, of course, it's the unknown. And, and yeah. who, who has injuries at that point? So, trying to predict. You do a general prediction on a schedule. I don't necessarily predict individual games. I sort of do, but not completely, until we get to the week of the game. Because how do I know who's quarterbacking at BYU? They could have massive injuries. They've had mm-hmm. them before. They've been three and, quarterbacks and, and, deep in that roster. Right. And so... 
who knows? You know, Jaron Hall, I think, is going to be the starter if he's healthy. Uh, but does he get through camp healthy? And that's game seven. So uh, but we've from seen, game one to game so seven is a lot. If he's a starter and and Romney's the backup, we've seen Romney play. He can play at a pretty good level. Sure, but how do I know that Conover doesn't take the backup job? I don't even know that who the, and I, if Conover, I don't know what the depth chart's going to be. Right, but if Conover does, because I've seen Romney play at a decent level, then I'm thinking Conover's at a pretty good level. Oh, he will be at a very good level. Right. I can tell you I have no people in Arizona. And one thing about the state of Arizona that I can speak authoritatively, they put out good quarterbacks. None you of got, them go to Tempe. Uh, <laughs> but, but they put them out. They, they put do. them out all over the country. They don't put them out all over the state. Let's look at USC. Let's look at Iowa State. Let's look at Oklahoma. Uh, there's a kid at Ohio State, Miller, who's in the running, and he's from the Valley. So there's a slew of them. And there's been there's been some who've stayed. They just haven't stayed in a while. I mean, in, in the 70s, you had uh, White and uh, Pagel played in the NFL, and then they had a kid in the in, in, uh 15 years later, named Keeley from, I think it was from St. Mary's. He was pretty good. So there have been a number of really good quarterbacks. Fitzpatrick, he's a Gilbert kid. Ryan Fitzpatrick, yeah, he's East Valley all the way. He went to Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm shocked he passed up the ASU education for Harvard. That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but, you know, he chose to You're take the one. He chose to take the lesser of the two. Uh, so good for him. He wanted, on thicker. He wanted to go to Harvard. Uh, I mean, obviously, he wasn't a broadcast major, or else he would have stayed local, because you don't get better than that in the world, let alone in the country. Exhibit A, me. So, with that in mind... (laughs) Or Al Michaels, either one. (laughs) So, with that in mind, the point I'm making is I expect Conover to start his fair share of games. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm expecting him to play well. Thank you. Thank you, Walter. Uh, a lot of folks uh, are ver- were very, very high on him. And so uh, let's see what he can do in time, whenever that time may be. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I still think that if he's healthy, Hall is going to win the job in the so, ADC. And I'm excited for him to see what he can do. So the why at 8-4? and four? I haven't broken down individual games, but off the top of my head, I can see that. I can, uh, Yeah. I think it's going to be hard for them, just realistically speaking, to go more in most seasons than eight and four. Uh, they don't get a cream puff to start. You can argue this year, and maybe with Arizona turning out to be that way, uh, but that's that's a set of circumstances because we obviously we know what their front loaded schedule and what they need to do as an independent. That it's hard, and you're just looking to survive that the best you can. And then they get some easier games as the season rolls on. It's a little we know it's reverse. Uh, so, but I'm counting on the program developing players in the way that they developed players last year to where the NFL came calling multiple times. That's my line of thinking. That now you've got the program. I, I can't say it's rolling, but it's. It, it is in the development stage, and they're always going to have to have that to an extent, right? Because like a lot of programs, like at least half the Power Five, if not more, they're not rolling out all these five-star friggin' guys who go to Ohio State and so forth and so on. It's just the way it is, man. They're not. We, we say it for BYU, and we almost like it's a slight. Well, really, for BYU, it's no more of a slight than it is for most of the Pac-12 in that way. 
You're not just rolling out these bona fides. Now, the good thing about the U of U is they've gotten far more bona fides than they used to. Eric Weddle blows up to our surprise. Jalen Johnson blows up not to our surprise. This is what he was supposed to do, and he did it. So they weren't getting those types of players back then that we can really identify as what I just call the bona fide. Now they're getting some of these bona fides, right? The Mountain West era was a different era, to quote somebody who yelled that at me angrily when I was making some point he loathed. So, yes. I mean, the, the NFL guys that are getting, they used to kind of come in waves, and and you had to you had to build them up, coach them up, and you had to maybe get a little lucky that somebody fell through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Like what? <clears throat> right. Yeah. Well, now it's, he didn't really have to be built up. He was very good as a freshman. But, still, but, they're, but, but they're lucky he fell through the crack. The, and that the someone, LA schools weren't exactly right. beating down his door. No. No, there's a story about seeing him for the first time at this school and thinking, that kid? And, yeah. and I think it was in the cafeteria at lunch or something. Like, he, you know, sometimes the, it's like you were saying about Paul George, right? And he, you just look at people, they're out of central casting. That is a basketball player. That is a football player. You just looked apart. He looked small. But he could play. From the day he got here, he could play. And then he ended up, you know, we know he played in the NFL forever. Jalen Johnson identified early on, and then they immediately replace oh. him with a Clark Phillips. Yeah, okay. And, and he ends up starting from day one. When you start getting kids at Oklahoma and Ohio State wanted, not that they overlooked that they wanted, you're getting somewhere. You're in a different neighborhood. Right. That's where Utah is Bonifies. in its program. So there's no reason now for the foreseeable future, at least until Kyle's there, and I think he'll be there at least three more years, and we'll see when we get there what his line of thinking is at that point when he turns 65, because he'll turn 62 this season, what he wants to do. We'll let him make that decision and announcement when he's darn well ready to make it, but that's not now. And so I expect them to be competitive this year. I probably didn't expect them necessarily to be competitive last year, but the division is not that tough. There's just... There's not great teams in that South Division. So by the fact that the competition isn't all that tough and the fact that they're a program that is on the rise, I expect them to contend virtually every year. Maybe last year would have been different because the unusual circumstances of the prior year losing so many guys. But last year was that trans it was going to be a transition year and then it blows up and to be what it was. So uh, as far as them contending, there was no contention last year. It, it didn't even count as far as I'm concerned. But the guys got some experience, so now I'm expecting them to contend pig- again, piggyback off of that yep. and contend again. Yes, uh, that's my level of optimism for their program is to be in contention in the South. And then once you win that thing, see who you're playing in the North. And I agree with what you were saying, or I think, earlier in the, this week. Get rid of those freaking divisions. It, it, it's pointless. It, it, I, I think want the, the best teams if playing. If you weren't with us, the 12-team playoff, I think, is going to end divisions in every league. I think all the Power Fives. Now, the, the, the Big 12 already doesn't have a division. But the other four do. But I just don't see where you're going to risk it. And the only one is probably the SEC because they just have highly ranked teams at the, at the top. But you cannot risk having uh, the 23rd ranked team who is 9-3 win a division and then pull an upset in the conference championship game. That's how you get shut out of the college football playoff. You can't 
risk that. Right. I so want you want your top yeah. two teams right. playing exactly, and then if you're not, if your lower team isn't in the top twelve, they're at least close enough that with the upset they get there. They may go in as fourteen or fifteen. I want them competing with Oregon and Washington and whomever out of the north. I want it all in one rather than. Uh, competing with just the teams in the yeah. South. It's not good enough. The, and plus, Utah can compete with those teams anyway. So for the sake of the conference, I'm on, I'm aboard, on board what you say 100%. Yeah. So when we get the 12-team playoff, I think really quickly you'll see the divisions uh, vaporize. And it'll just go to one 10, 12, or 14-team standings, depending on which league you're following and uh, how many schools they have at that point. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Corbin Kafusi, offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers. Coming up in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. How detrimental do you think it would be for the Jazz if they were to lose Conley services? It wouldn't send you back to square one, but it would send you back to square three, if that makes any sense. You wouldn't be a contender anymore. Simple as that. The Jazz, because of cap issues, can't go out and just sign somebody else. They'd have to get cheap replacements for Mike Conley, and that's just not going to work. But the last two years, when the Jazz were successful, Mike has been a huge reason why. Mike's up there with Chris Paul in terms of guys that their respective teams have to sign, or else their window will snap shut immediately. And I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think the Jazz window will snap shut if Mike Conley leaves. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It's a win tickets Wednesday. Caller 12 right now wins a four-pack of tickets to the Salt Lake Bees home game Monday night, July 12th against the Sacramento Rivercats. Come out and support the Bees. It's better at the ballpark. Get your tickets at slbs.com. Call right now, 855-340-ZONE, and Yach will get Caller 12 taken care of. 855-340-ZONE. Two American League West teams? uh, Sacramento, is that Oakland? I believe they are the Oakland A's affiliate, correct. Yeah. So, yeah, AL West. Probably some good young talent on that uh, team. Joe Adele plays for the Bees, is considered one of, if not the best hitter in minor league baseball currently. He's on his way up, was up for a bit, came down. Somebody just did a big story on him. Was it uh, the Tribune or the D-News? I can't uh, remember. I believe it was the Tribune. Whoever did it, it was a good story because I read it. Oakland is the Las Vegas Aviators. So is it the Giants for the River I thought Cats? Giants was Fresno. Fresno Fresno's no longer AAA. They're not? Nope. They just they dropped a single A this year. Really? Mm-hmm. So the Giants went to Sacramento? Uh, that's what I'm wondering now if the A's are with Las Vegas. Vegas for a while was the Mets and it was Toronto. It was like, man, what a fish out of water. Giants moved from Fresno to Sacramento in twenty fifteen and have been there ever since. Oh, so the River Cats, so, okay. Yeah. It's seven years now, Sacramento. Giants the number one surprising story in MLB this year. Is there any doubt about that? That seems like a slam so. dunker. I don't think so, because all the teams that are good were expected to be good. Who is supposed to be good and is really bad? Who's the biggest disappointment? Is it the Cubbies? Well, right now, because they were expected to be so-so, then they got hot, and now they've lost 11 in a row, and I think what they gave up 15 runs yesterday. That's pretty crappy pitching, obviously. So, uh, Yankees, 
I'd probably go with the Yankees number one, yeah, because two games over five hundred, just kind of going sideways all season. Their run differential has hit zero right on the right on the nose. They've scored as many runs as they've given up. And I read somewhere where Cole, their ace, and Chapman, their top reliever, since the MLBs cracked down on the spin rates and you know, junk and all that stuff, their but, numbers changed dramatically. Yes. And baseball, I think, is the ultimate numbers game. And so, it, it, it like... Uh, Can't blame it on everything else. It's not one thing impacted guy this, for which Oakland, impacted that. Uh, Davis, um, home run hitter. Went to Deer Valley, where I did my student teaching down there in Arizona. And I think, like, three years in a row, he hit something like 246. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... That's a weird number. Yeah, and Stan Musial, when he died... He had the same exact literal number of hits on the road as at home. The exact same. So the point being that your numbers in this sport tell the truth of what type of player you are because there's so many games. And you can get on a hot streak, but all that means is you're going to get on a whole cold streak. And so uh, you can have a career season – but it's probably not going to be that outrageous. So the Yankees have been sort of running in place all season. They're one game above five hundred on the road. They're one game above five hundred at home. That's not good. So, yeah, I would say the Giants, the number one surprise. And then you've got uh, the Yankees, the number one disappointment. Yankees with the second biggest payroll in baseball. All that money, it's not paying off. Not yet. Mets are third, but the Mets are leading their division. So, oh yeah, Mets are fine. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 fine. They're up. They're up four. I think the Braves have been disappointing too, because they had a really good season last year, and right now they're three games under five hundred. I think they are. Uh, so I would put them as a, a little bit of a disappointment. Now, there's still time. Because we're right at the halfway point this year. St. Louis, I think, was expecting themselves to be better. Uh, Arizona sucks beyond belief. 27% winning percentage. Didn't they win yesterday, though? Beat Colorado. Great. Who is 6-32 and 32 on the road. How do you have 14 games over 500 well, at home we know and 26 under? Because I mean, it's Denver, baby. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the stats on that bear 5, that 5,200 feet. So I, I flicked over last night to, to catch the Diamondback game. And, and the stadiums, baseball and basketball, are less than a mile apart. I mean, they're right down the street from each other. And one is going berserk, and one you can't hear a pin drop. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. And they're <laughs> How do you sell tickets if you're the Diamondbacks? Hey, the Rockies are in town. Come be close to the action with the Suns. <laughs> Buy a cheap seat and move way down. You can, but you can be, you can partake in the pregame uh, festivities of the Suns, and then if you don't have a ticket, come over to our place. All right, DJ and PK coming up next. 49er football with the former BYU Cougar, Corbin Kafusi. Putting on weight, moving to the old line. We will talk with him next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Corbin Kafusi, offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers, a former BYU Cougar. Corbin, good morning. How you doing? Doing well. Corbin, you may not know this, but you are joining us 
On the Smart Rain guest line, it's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. I am curious uh, what a long, strange trip you have found professional sports. <laughs> it, it has been a long, strange trip. So now you're with the Niners, and we remember you as on the defensive side, and now you are on the offensive side trying to make it as an offensive lineman. What have you had to have done as far as technique to your body, all that stuff, the difference between being on one side of the ball and now being on the other? Oh, you know, it's been a complete overhaul, to be honest. You know, body-wise, you know, I came in, when I first came into the NFL as a defensive lineman, I was probably 270, 275, and now I'm around 330. I've been up to 350 before, so that was an overhaul. Technique is completely different. You know, offense is just a whole different side of the game, and so learning that has been, you know, it's, it's been hard, but it's been really good. So how did this how did this happen? It seems like pretty late in your career to have what seems to me a radical change. You know, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just up in the night. How did this all play out for you? Yeah. So um, I was actually recruited to BYU to play offensive line, and so my first spring ball at BYU before I went on my my uh, service mission, I did as an offensive lineman because that's where my dad always wanted me to play. He's like, oh, it's better longevity and stuff, and so. It was never something that came out of the blue totally, but, you know, I ended up playing D-line, and then when I got it, after I got waived by the Saints, I was just working out, and my uh, my agent was like, you know, some teams would love to see you at offensive tackle, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I had never really thought about going back to it, but I kind of shrugged it off, and then after a little bit, I was like, you know, I'll, whatever it takes to play, you know, I just love the game, so whatever it takes. So the average American male, I think, is like 5'9". So nobody can relate, or most folks cannot relate to someone who is like you, 6'9". 275 is enormous, just for guys like us. And then they ask you to put on basically 50 to 75 pounds. It just seems so outrageous. What does a person need to do who already weighs 275 to put on that extra weight in order to play that. How do you go about that? Yeah, to be honest, it's just you have to have discipline in your eating. And you think it's almost the opposite, where it's like, oh, you don't have to have discipline at all because you're just going to eat everything. But (laughs) it takes a very strict schedule of eating to to gain weight the way you want to. So I've heard people who've had to do that, and then Thurl Bailey uh, burned calories at a stunning amount, and he always said they were always on him to eat, to keep his weight up. You know, playing basketball, he just burned through so many calories, and his natural metabolism did it. He said it became a chore. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't something he looked forward to. It was, it was kind of work in a way. Is that how you find eating now? Do you, do you enjoy it, or is this like, this is like going to work? Oh, well, now, like, my body's kind of used to it, so I don't have to, like, continue to keep crazy amounts of calories. But, yeah, when your metabolism isn't quite there yet and it's still just burning everything, you know, when you're at a lighter weight, oh, eating becomes the hardest thing in the world. And I remember, luckily, I had some experience with this when I 
went from basketball to football at BYU because I gained 40 pounds within that window. And, you know, I would always take these meals to classes and everyone would be like, wow, he's eating these nice meals during class. And I'm like (laughs) sitting there almost like tearing up because this is the fifth time I've eaten the exact same food and it just has no taste to me at all. And it's just, you don't want to eat it, but you have to. So it's definitely a chore and it's work. So why the Niners? Uh, you know, the Niners, I'm, I just like, one, their offense. They have a great offense. I love Kyle Shanahan and everything he's done there. And just, I think it kind of fits my skill set. You know, they love to run off the ball. Their their tackles are offensive line and just great athletes. And so I thought it would be a great fit for me. So why do people see you as an offensive lineman, whether it was your dad or whether it's these NFL teams, is it is it partly your size and your wingspan? Would you be avail- Would you be able just to push that rusher around the edge and send him looping twenty yards behind the quarterback? Yeah, to be honest, it's definitely that. It's the the physical traits. Where it's, I have these these long arms, you know, and you know from playing basketball and stuff, the footwork's there as well. And so it's just being able to put those all together is what you kind of look for in offensive linemen. I, I won't lie, when I was a defensive lineman, I didn't give credit to the offensive line because, you know, you're just trying to beat them. But being on the other side now, I'm like, these guys are freaky athletes. You know, to be the size that they are and to do what you have to do as an offensive lineman, like you're the only two people on the field that work backwards are offensive linemen and defensive backs. And it takes an extreme amount of athleticism. And so, yeah, I, I was just grateful that I found a position that really – you know, compliments the the natural gifts and talents I've been given. So last summer we had the COVID thing, and it's still around, but last summer obviously was at the height. What's different as far as training and all that stuff and what you're going to expect when you get to camp as far as last year versus this year? I think already it's already been huge difference. I was able to go out to San Francisco, and we have basically a full OTAs out there. You know, some teams were – didn't meet up. Some did a few weeks, whereas like I was out in San Francisco for 10 weeks and it was great to be with the guys on the team. We had almost the entire team out there. And so working with them, getting to know guys, getting to actually walk through play, like it already feels way better than it did last year. It feels way more normal. And so going into training camp, I'm just excited because, you know, it's going to have that normal feeling again and we're going to get preseason games. So I'm excited. So what is the number one thing you have to do to make the roster, to get onto the field? What what are they pushing yet? I think, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of different things they're probably going to be looking for. But I think for me, it's it's going to be looking natural as I play. You know, when you're making a transition between positions, there's always that learning curve and you know, you look at guys and you can be like, okay, like he's still learning the position. And for me, I want to go in there and have have them not even think that I switched positions. You know, I just want it to look natural, be like, oh, this guy can play. Like this guy plays offensive line instead of it being, uh, oh, like, you know, he needs to keep developing. So that's my goal. So you mentioned your father, Steve. Now everybody knows, or most people know, that he's a longtime coach at BYU, and then I think that before that at Utah. Uh, he stepped away a couple years ago. How's he spending his time these days? You know, he's good. He's uh, just finding other things to do, whether it be 
business and he, he still does a little bit of training on the side for for uh, young kids or anyone that wants it. So that's all. It's kind of fun to see him get his, his fix in, his football fix. And so, yeah, he's just kind of keeping himself busy in those ways. You know, the name Kafusi for uh, generations of fans, both Utes and Cougars, it has resonated. Are there more Kafusis on the way? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I've got, of course, tons of cousins and whatnot. And then, like, even my, my brother's kids, my, my little sister just had a baby boy. That's the, the further down the road generation. <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely there's always going to be Kafusis coming in. <laughs> That's for sure. So your one brother, Devin, went to BYU, and now he's at Utah. And you guys played, you and your brother played at BYU. So September 11th is the game. Where are your loyalties going to be? <laughs> you know, family first, of course. So, you know, I, I love BYU, and I had a great opportunity there, but definitely going to have to support Dev. And so it's, it's almost like, yes, it's hard, but it's also a win-win where it's like, oh, okay, like I'm, I'm glad when each team does well because I have different reasons for them. And, you know, we were so excited when Devin transferred because we knew that was going to be the best thing for him. So I'm excited to see how he does. I always figure with Kafusis, there's both red and blue in the co- closet. It's just like shape shifting or something. And you, yeah. you know, the Kafusis, the they they are just comfortable. You, you'd make great spies. <laughs> no, it's true. I won't lie though. Growing up, we had some awkward family reunions. <laughs> half of us were blue, and half of our family were red, and just a lot of tension in the room. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the Coveys now with uh, with Britain playing for uh, Utah. They have those BYU ties, but they have a, a they literally have blood on the Utah team. So I think you got to go in that direction, at least for the short term, anyway, right? Oh, absolutely! And it's so funny because Britain's older brother was one of my best friends growing up, and I watched BYU games at his house every single week. And so, like to see them in red, I'm like, okay, like <laughs> you know, that's that's what it takes. If the family's there, you got to stick with your family. Yeah, I agree. So you got you got Britain stories. Uh, We've we've heard a bunch of them. He's told some on himself. He's hilarious in interviews. You got Britain stories <laughs> as him as a little ten year old running around the house or something. Oh my gosh, Britty was the he's like the entertainer of his family, and so like he's the one. Oh my gosh, like literally everything we do, we'd always make Britty do because he wanted to. So like we'd have him go into restaurants and just do these crazy dumb things, and he had no fear doing it. Like you know, he had no. He had no problem going in and just looking super awkward or super weird. And that's what we loved about it was like, he just had no fear in doing these things for a good laugh. So we, we touched on the Kafusi name. You know, it's a household name in football in the state of Utah, obviously. And it's been that way for a number of years. And then when you factor in your bro, your dad's uh, brothers and their, as you say, their cousins, and the name isn't going to be dying out anytime soon. And so then we have that the situation here where we saw that college players can make money off of whether it be their name, likeness, and image, and they're calling it and all that stuff. Uh, so the, my, my thought for you is that you guys are such big names in the state and another Kafusi's rolling off the assembly line. They've already got the name built in into the community. 
Do you think that, and your time has passed, so it won't be for you, but going forward, <laughs> do you think that people, your cousins or whoever they might be, or nieces and nephews down the line, you think that that can maybe help them with name identity to maybe make some extra money there off the name of Kafusi since it's such a big name in our community? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm so glad that they finally passed that with, you know, NIL stuff because the the window, you know, to capitalize on these things sometimes is big, sometimes it's small, but if there is a window, you've you got to capitalize on it. And so I'm excited for my cousins and anyone else that can to capitalize because I think there's just such an opportunity there, and I think it's definitely there for them to take where, you know, when – I, like you said, it, my time came and passed, but it would have been nice to have that as an option to, you know, whether to help myself or the future, to even help my family even more. It just opens up a lot more doors, and I think there's a lot more opportunity. So as long as we're talking uh, image and likeness, we got the name down, the Kafusi name, very recognizable. But I got to admit, as I look at a bunch of photos here on my computer, I might have picked you out as a saint. You got the beard going at this point. You're not the clean-shaven guy we saw at BYU. But the Jets shot with the hair down the shoulders, you totally – I would have walked by you and I wouldn't have known. So what, yeah. what's the Niner look? What are you going for? Oh, well, it's funny you ask because, you know, I – as soon as I finished that, even, yeah, as soon as I finished that BYU, I hadn't cut my hair since. What? And then, yeah, and then <laughs> once my, the whole, I was allowed to grow a beard, I was like, you know, I can grow a beard. Like, I got a pretty decent amount of, like, my beard grows in pretty thick, and so I grew out a beard, and I, and, you know, switching to offensive line, I kind of wanted that rugged, almost Viking look, <laughs> and so I had hair down past my shoulders, big old beard, and just actually last week, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, change it up it's about time for me to clean up the look and so i cut off all my hair and shaved my beard down like when i was just scruff but yeah now the, the niner look is is definitely like a clean cut business look so you're gonna stay with that or you're gonna let it grow again you know i think for now i'm gonna stick with it and you know i might i might let it grow again but who knows but for now i'm like ooh, i'm i kind of still have this feeling where it's all it's all business right now all right well, you reserve the right to change your mind at all times. Go, go with a new <laughs> yeah. look, you know. You get that feeling one day, and you just change everything. So I'm, I'm going exactly. to post the three different uh, photos on Twitter and let people see all these looks. Back to that whole spy <laughs> thing. you got a whole other career if you want it. You may not want it, but if you do. A 6'9 guy being a spy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> All right, well, Corbin, we will follow you. Uh, and, and Jake, our producer, Yak, is a huge Niner fan. So basically, if there is even a trickle of news, we hear all about it. So uh, good luck to you in the coming season, and we'll see how this plays out for you now on the O-line. Clean-cut business look. Yes, sir. All right, thanks. Thanks for joining us, Corbin. There's Corbin Kafusi, offensive lineman for the San Francisco 49ers, the former BYU Cougar. As I understand it, there's a, there's several more coming up, and uh, we'll see who's uh, who gets their services. Well, there have been a bunch of uh, good players over time. Now, the Kafuzis have mostly stayed in state, haven't they? Am I By missing one? By and large. Uh, there have been a couple. Tongaloa, if you remember him at East High School, went to Stanford. He is a cousin. But by and large, they've stayed here in state, gone to either Utah, BYU, or in some cases, Utah State.
Stanford might as well just uh, be Instead an extension. A, you just have a, just have a campus here yeah. in Salt Lake. A branch. <laughs> the <laughs> East the East campus. Just have to travel out for the games. You got so many guys from Utah and LDS guys. In fact, you were talking about that. Uh, you asking in the prior segment about uh, local colleges. I was looking yesterday, going through some stuff, because Jake Scott and I are going to go down and broadcast uh, Pac-12 Media Day which is uh, it's Tuesday. I think that's the 27th of uh, this month. Uh, what, three weeks from yesterday? Correct. And so we'll be down there. So, you know, I like to be prepared. And so I was going through some stuff yesterday, uh, looking at Stanford and seeing all the guys that they have. Now, that McKee, they don't necessarily list him to start. He's a, a return missionary who was a top-flight quarterback out of California. And he's in competition, but they didn't say that he was going to be the starter. We'll see how it plays out. But certainly Stanford has a ton of LDS guys. And I'm looking forward to I, – I got to uh, – I'm really looking forward to interviewing the University of Arizona coach because I'm going to say I got good news and bad news because he's from North Jersey all the way through and through. So he's your guy. Yeah. So I'm going to tell him I'm going to say I got uh, – I'm going to say my, my one sister went to Morris Catholic, which is in Morris County, and he'll clearly know that. And then my other sister – went to the exact same high school, East Hanover High School. And then I want to say, now, before you think we're buddies, I went to ASU. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to think, oh, I got a homie here. <laughs> right? Because anytime you get uh, that far away and you get somebody who has local ties, like that other, who did we have on the other day to talk about the NBA and I told him, I said, hey, save a table at Star Tavern for us. And it was the us. NFL guy from the New York Post. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it Costello? Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. And we were talking about Zach Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I dropped that line. And you're thinking, what the heck? Out there in Utah? That's like, uh, they might as well be Russia, man, uh, as far as that goes. And I dropped that. You could tell he was surprised. So I'm sure Fish, the new coach for the U of A, is going to be very surprised and then he's going to think, and we're boys, and then I'm going to drop the hammer on him. Way to go. <laughs> so you and I, we're actually enemies, buddy. <laughs> all right, DJ and PK, coming up next, Yacht did track down Barry Trammell after all, sports columnist for the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com, and we will check in with him next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. How detrimental do you think it would be for the Jazz if they were to lose Conley services? It wouldn't send you back to square one, but it would send you back to square three, if that makes any sense. You wouldn't be a contender anymore. Simple as that. The Jazz, because of cap issues, can't go out and just sign somebody else. They'd have to get cheap replacements for Mike Conley, and that's just not going to work. But the last two years, when the Jazz were successful, Mike has been a huge reason why. Mike's up there with Chris Paul in terms of guys that their respective teams have to sign, or else their window will snap shut immediately and i don't think that's hyperbolic i think the jazz window will snap shut if mike conley leaves catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big o tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone we're joined now by barry trammell sports columnist for the oklahoman and NewsOK.com. he joins us on the smart rain guest line it's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently, and that's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Barry, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, guys. I always enjoyed. Hey, I apologize for missing you an hour ago. 
I uh, had my phone off and didn't know it. And no excuse. I just screwed up. I apologize. <laughs> well, you built up some goodwill here, so I wouldn't worry about it. You can. Well, I was hoping that was the case. That was uh, that was my hope. So we are curious about multiple things and how things are playing out in a market that's a little different and yet kind of the same. And name, image, and likeness. The gates are open. The land rush has begun. Are the Sooners going to get to the money sooner, I guess, is the question. And I'm wondering how much... I mean, it's interesting on one level, but the Sooners are at such an elite level. Is it going to change much? Are they going to pry kids away from Clemson and Alabama? Because they're getting pretty much everybody else they want and winning nonstop. How much is this uh, impacting the product on the field at Oklahoma, you think? See, I don't think it's going to impact. I don't think it's going to impact the game very much at all across America. Um, Alabama's still going to get the cream of the crop. And as you said, the next year down is going to – I don't see where how this going to change. Only thing I could see is potentially somebody like Oregon. You know, well, you know there, there are laws or rules in place to keep somebody like Phil Knight from doing too much. But if you can circumvent that, you know, Nike's got the wherewithal to to make an impact. But this this Joker down in Miami yesterday who owns some martial arts studios, you know, is going to pay all the hurricanes. I mean, that's not going to, that's not, that's a, that's a lark. I mean, he's not, this guy's not going to pay a half a million dollars a year to, for Miami football. So what we're going to have is we're going to have a big boom and then we're going to have a big bust. And some, some kids will end up on the good end and some, some won't, but I don't think it's going to change, change the food chain of college football at all. Yeah, I probably most likely agree with you. I guess I'd have to see some evidence. But if you're looking for a change in the balance of power, uh, it's more along the lines of the rich get richer, So, which is not changing the balance of power. It's just continuing it. But I am wondering, uh, a kid like uh, Spencer Radler comes there. And, you know, I grew up in Phoenix, went to Arizona State, and he's a local kid and hoping he would stay. Of course, he didn't. They normally don't, and they take off. But he's popular and he's good and all that. So, what do you think his earning potential could be in college? Oh, you know, I think it's it's uh, incredibly high. I doubt one of these kids ends up with a million dollars a year, but I think there'll be a few that get into six figures. I don't, I don't think there's much doubt about that. I think Zion would have at Duke in basketball, and I think some of these football players will. You know, the boogeyman in people like me's eyes or, or my mind are, are boosters and, you know, sort of traditional forms of uh, car dealers, that kind of thing, traditional forms of paying players. But the truth is the big money's in this social media, Internet stuff, you know, TikTok, YouTube, all that stuff with followers. And um, so that's going to that's going to require a confluence of big name, and really adeptness at um, at working the, the branding of social media, which some guys have and some don't. Some, some girls have, some don't. I mean, you, you guys have read about those two gals at Fresno State that signed for $500,000 or whatever because they got 4 million followers. So um, that, it, it's, sort of a, it's sort of an unknown frontier for us. Because we really don't know people like you and me. I, you know, I'm making assumptions about you guys, but I assume you're not 
you know, swimming up to your eyeballs in social media. And so I th- it, it's sort of an unknown frontier for us, but that's where some big money is. And that's where you're going to see some surprises. I think you're going to see uh, different kinds of sports. It's not just going to be the Alabama linebacker. It, you know, it's going to be the it's going to be the Florida State softball center fielder, and it's going to be a Nebraska volleyball player, and it's going to be a you know Penn State wrestler. You know, we had a we got a kid up at Oklahoma State, national champion wrestler, got an incredible personality, and within the sport of wrestling, he's like an icon. He signed a he signed a big apparel deal already. Um, ahead of any football player in the state that we can tell, so it's that kind of thing. Sort of the niche markets are really going to are going to uh, go after some of these some of these athletes. So I think that's the thing to look out for. Uh, somebody like Spencer Rattler clearly has a lot of opportunity. Um, he can do he could do some national brands. I mean, he could do some traditional forms of of commercials. Um, endorsements, those kinds of things, but it's that it's that niche social media market that is where there's going to be a lot of money to changing hands. So I think I know what you're going to say to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway just to make sure. Because from the football competitive standpoint, is there a chance that an Oklahoma State or a Utah? pulls a recruit away from USC who says, hey, I'd rather be the big man on campus here than the 20th biggest recruit here? Or does a a Tulsa or a Boise State or a San Diego State or whoever pull some away from Utah or Oklahoma State? Is there any of that going on? Or even that is too far-fetched? Or coaches are going to make a run at that to see if it works, and nobody's really sure right now. Yeah, I think that's possible. Um you know, the truth of the matter is, I think you'll see a bigger effect on um, on the transfer portal than maybe high school recruiting, because that's where the bulk of recruiting is shifted to now, for crying out loud. Why, why go waste your time on a kid you don't know if he can play or not? Well, go waste your time, or go spend your time on a kid you know that can play. So uh, I, I think all those things are possible. I just don't think they're going to be very prevalent. I mean, I, I think, I think most players believe they can play at the highest levels, and so this, you know, big fish, small pond is not really sort of in their mentality. They settle for a Tulsa, San Diego State, a Boise State, or you know, an Oklahoma State instead of an Oklahoma. They settle for those kinds of things, but only when they have to. If they have a chance, they tend to just they tend to go to the big boys and that's why we don't really see a lot of change in the you know, in the rankings or in the success rate of most of these schools. And so uh, I'm anxious to see how this all plays out, but I think the movement I think the change will be sort of glacial. I don't think it'll be very fast moving. Do you think that programs will be able to use it to their advantage, or how much can they use it to their advantage in recruiting, whether it's through high school or transfer? Oh yeah, they're all going. They're all going to say it, um, and some will have all kinds of uh, examples of how why it's true. So we'll see. I don't know if um, you know. I I don't know how much. Well, here, here's what I don't know, and this is transfers and high school kids. I don't know what priority 
they will put on financial wherewithal and football wherewithal or whatever sport. In other words, you know, if you're a big-time football player, you're thinking of the NFL. Now, this stuff on the side, this money, whether it's 10000 whether it's 100000 that's nice and that can make you think. But if you see yourself as a big-time football player, you look at the NFL draft, you say, I'm going to Alabama if I get any sliver of a chance. I'm going to LSU if I have any sliver of a chance. You look at that NFL draft list, and I don't know that the priority is going to change much. Um, it could, when they get to college, I suppose, a few players sort of come to the realization they're not headed to the NFL. Most still harbor those dreams, but some are more uh, reasonable in their in their minds. So maybe then they think, you know, maybe if maybe I could make some money and and get my education here if I go to whatever school. But I still think most football players and basketball have stars in their eyes still about making the pros. So I I I think it's fascinating. The whole NIL thing, the the Wild West, it's all fascinating. I just don't see it affecting the the uh the competitive balance. What I wonder about is uh, I'm interested in the chemistry on the rosters. Um, you know, people have asked around here, what happens when Spencer Rattler's making $500,000 a year and the left guard blocking for him is making $5,000 a year? Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, a lot of coaches tell us that's going to be a chemistry problem. You know, in the NFL, a whole lot of minimum wage guys are blocking for Aaron Rodgers and and Ben Roethlisberger and, and Tom Brady, they seem to stand up all right. So I don't know that it'll be a problem, but it's going to be interesting. Barry Trammell joining us right here. What's your reaction in Oklahoma to the 12-team playoff proposal? Um, most people are fired up about it. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a huge. It's great opportunity for an Oklahoma State great opportunity for Utah, for Brigham Young, for virtually everybody. The people it affects the least are the four schools that have been making the playoffs all the years. You know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson. They've been in, they count, is it 20 of the 28 slots in the history of the playoff? I think those four schools have accounted for. So it would have gotten Oklahoma into the playoff twice extra. Um, so that, and they're okay with that, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a game changer for them. Um, but it is a game changer for, you know, Wisconsin and, um, Georgia, well, Georgia's gotten really good, but, uh, Florida, for instance, never been in the playoff, but usually have a really good team. Um, teams like that, and then the upper and comers that have a chance. Cincinnati, the, you know, the mid majors. Um, so I think uh, here's the deal. I've always, I've always been a traditionalist, and I've always sort of thought, you know, I don't really want to get rid of the bowl system. But the truth is, the bowls have sort of killed themselves, and the bowls have proven to not nobody really cares about them. 
The players have spoken. They don't really want to play in them if they have a, if they have any pro aspirations. So the only way to save the bowls is to expand the playoff. So you know, I, I'm I'm okay with it. I sort of like I. I never even thought of a 12-team playoff, but it's fairly ingenious. I don't, I don't have much to pick about it. I sort of like what they've come up with. I like the, I like uh, the attempt to save the bowls with, you know, the quarterfinals on bowl in both sides. I like. I mean, I'm okay with the home home field advantage in the first round. That'll be some interesting, especially if we can get some SEC teams going to to Ann Arbor and Madison. Uh, the second week of December, that'll that'll make for uh, interesting television. So I'm all for for what I see, what I've seen so far. I don't see a lot of downside. Changing gears a little bit, while we have you on the phone, I think Sam Presti just acquired two more first round draft picks for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, what do they got? Uh, three. They've already made a, a move with uh, Kemba Walker. What's going to play? How do you think it's going to play out in terms of their rebuild here in the short term? Well, they got you know they got just horrible lottery luck. They had a twenty five percent chance at two top five picks. They had a fifty percent fifty percent chance at one top five pick. They ended up with no top five picks in a draft that everybody said is uh, a five player draft. Well, bad luck. So you got to do something else. Presti, no doubt, will, is not through trading. He'll trade draft night. There'll be some trades with the Thunder. I expect him to try to move up. You know, try to package six and sixteen and go to four or something. You know, whatever they can do. Uh, Kimber Walker could be involved in that if somebody would willing to take a flyer on him. So they're not through um, the the lottery. Misfortune just sort of delays the rebuild. But the truth is, and, and people in Utah know this better than anybody, it, it's double fool's gold to rely on the lottery too much for two reasons. One, it's a lottery. It's designed for most people to lose. So, you know, if you feel bad about losing a lottery, you know, you're not very smart, really. So, number two is, the uh, the draft very rarely goes in linear form. Um, if you get stuck with the six, sixteen, and eighteen draft picks, hey, go out and find good players at six, sixteen, and eighteen. Utah had, uh, you know, Utah had the best uh, record in the league this year, building around two guys. What what was Donovan number thirteen overall? I think or yeah, thirteen like or fourteen. Yeah, and and Gobert twenty seven. Go find your two ball players at thirteen and twenty-seven, or six and sixteen and eighteen. Go find two players. Don't don't sit and wallow. Um, people rely too much on the lottery. You know, I I equate it to marriage. You know, I, people spend way too much time on their wedding and not near enough time on their marriage. And people in the NBA spend way too much time worrying about the lottery and not near enough time worrying about the draft. Doesn't matter where you get picked. Or, or what what picks you're given, use those picks wisely, and you'll be ahead of the game. So that's what Presty needs to do. Um, he's got some things to build around. Shea Gilgis Alexander clearly is a star, and Lou Dort is a is a building piece. They got all those draft picks. You can't use them. You know, they've got eighteen 
or seven, whatever it is, 17 or 18 draft picks, first round, in the, in the next seven drafts, counting this one. You can't use all those draft picks. So use some of them to trade up or trade out. Trade, you know, do some wheeling and dealing, and maybe you end up with a good roster. Well, Barry, as always, we appreciate a few minutes, multiple topics, but uh, Oklahoma and Utah are linked. So it's interesting to hear your take on uh, how things are playing out there. Thanks for coming on, and we will uh, talk to you again down the road. Okay, see you guys. Barry Trammell, sports columnist, the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com. The list of players who were really good players, who if they hit free agency on the open market, the whole league would be throwing wads of cash at. More and more, they're guys who've been passed on. I mean, the, the history books are LeBron and Shaq and Duncan. There's all these number one picks out there. But Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert here, Chris Booker. Paul. Chris Paul was a Aiden. was a top five. Yeah, Aiden was number one. Right, but Kawhi Leonard. He was picked later. He's a well, mid first round. Onto Tacumbo. In the teens, wasn't yeah. He? There's another. So there's a lot of talent out there that slipped, and people didn't see it coming. And it's not an indictment of any one person because lots of people passed oh, on everybody. these guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to Barry's point, it's hard to find them. But man, if you do, the reward is massive. I mean, you look at Juwan Morgan. Most teams passed on him. See? Yeah. Good point. There's random PK for us just popping in (laughs) to join the show. (laughs) Well, it's 10 minutes to 10. I'm light and fluffy. I agree. When we come back, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, working from home or with a hybrid workforce. Get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Time for your feedback, everything you had to say about today's show. Oh, it's been a hell of a show. I can't believe today <laughs> was a good day. How much of a priority should the Jazz make re-signing Mike Unley? And T-Dot says 100%. If he goes, there will be no replacements. That's not true. There'll be a replacement. Maybe not of that quality. We don't know that one. Gordon Hayward went, oh, no, the rebuild was over. We're going to have to go back into the lottery, blah, 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 blah. No. You got better. Mitchell's better than Hayward. True story. Hate to keep counting on that. How many times can you pull the rabbit out of the hat? Well, pull the rabbit out of the hat, though. From what we understand, he was targeted and primed and and set upon their goals and all that. So was it pulled out? It's not like, oh, we'll take this guy. And then he ends up being really good. I don't no, think Dennis was... Lindsay telling anyone that uh, don't talk about this workout or you'll get fired. I kept my mouth shut all those years. And you weren't in there. <laughs> <laughs> he knew better don't than to let you in. the story. He knew better than to let you in there. Hey, we were in Montana spreading the word about Salt Lake. You were in Montana looking at that golf course surrounded by those mountains. Dennis Lindsay and I, we worked together. You know, he you know, he brought it out in the public. I wasn't gonna bring it out, but he did. <laughs> okay. So it wasn't Keep. just dumb pure luck that they got that guy. And I don't think it was dumb pure luck they got Gobert either. I agree with that, but those guys have to be available. And you they spotted those two guys, you but gotta you gotta go can't, get them. Right, and you can't and they did. They had to make trades and 
Move into what, a spot where they can grab What you have to have happen is somebody like the Knicks repeatedly draft guys who suck. Oops. Yeah. Get New York and Sacramento in front of you. It says you're drafting 15, but you're really drafting 13 after they make their mistakes. Maybe the Knicks have turned a new page now. This year certainly went better. And they hired Walt Perrin away, so maybe their drafts will get better. But somebody else will slide into that spot. Somebody else making hideous mistakes. Phoenix. Phoenix had been Phoenix for a while. It was. That's yeah. a large part of the reason why they missed it for over a decade. Is because they kept drafting Marquise right. Chris and Dragon Bender, and those guys weren't players. Draper Ute says, unless they get a backup point guard who can shoot and reduce Conley's minutes, uh, his hamstring will be a problem again next year. He'll be 34 and hamstrings don't suddenly get better. Prefer a sign-and-trade if they can pull it off. Well, isn't Joe a backup point guard? See, that's an interesting thing. Do you want to view Joe and Donovan as backup point guards because they handle the ball, or do you want a true point guard and then let them handle the ball There's when they have no the matchup? There's no such thing as a true point guard. The only guys that exist in the league were already there. <laughs> okay, so one of the names, and I can't remember who to credit, but I saw this on Twitter, who's throwing it out. I think it was one of the Jazz beat writers. How old Neto? Bring back someone who can just play minutes. Well, and yeah. if you decide, hey, tonight we got this matchup and we're going here, but we don't want to wear Joe Ingles down the way we wore him down a year ago when he had to carry the load because the other two got we'll hurt. Just have him go to Australia for February. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> and, and so Howell Neto and two hours ago, they got to get bigger. They got to get longer. Yeah. They got to get more athletic. So let's bring in Howell Neto. That solves everything. That really doesn't solve any of those problems. <laughs> now, he's developed into a better player than I thought he was, so I'll right. give him credit. I'm not disparaging and maybe the thing him at is, all. And maybe that's the wrong name, but maybe the concept of, and to your point, hey, go go find a 6-4 point guard or 6 Terrence Mann. And... Are they gonna, but is it going to be someone who's happy with their role if they know their role is going to be limited? Because they're on a better. winner, it's going to spotlight them. And, right, exactly. And in a year or two, you cash in when you move on because you had a chance to play well in the playoffs with the whole league watching. Majerus told me years ago, I don't determine minutes. Players determine minutes. True story. So go get better and demand minutes. I heard Rachel Nichols outworked everybody. That's where she got her, how she got her job. That was out of her own mouth. That's where you heard it. Yeah, this whole, this whole <laughs> the audio thing. She yeah. So so outwork everybody. Get better. As much as we talk about uh, the draft and free agency, if the Jazz are going to get better, who have they spotted at the end of somebody else's bench who can play if given a chance? Now they fall into several classes. Some people are all getting a chance, and you pay them more money. Some people, you don't have to pay that much money. They just need the playing time. If you open that up for them, do they see those people out there? There's a million stories in the nude city, as you said the other day. <laughs> the nude city. Yeah. Isn't that what you said? The naked city. All right, same thing. It's a, it's a synonym, is it not? It is. So To that, your point. That's their, their charge. Right. Is to, like Barry Trammell just said, if you got the sixth pick, go find a player with the sixth pick or make a move. To get whatever pick they made, the Jazz made moves to get two All Stars. I have no doubt that they can do it again. It's not about what you say, pull a rabbit out, or I forget the, the rabbit out of the hat. I don't see. I'm, oh, it could look like that to us, but does it look like them to them, or do they see something in somebody? Because all the time we spend talking about other sports, and we were talking about college football earlier this morning. 
they spend obsessing on the NBA. Right, and that's their charge. And guys who are overseas playing in Europe. And I think, by and large, they've done that. That's So they... why can't they do it again? Sweet. They've built a competitive team, and they haven't built it on a bunch of top five picks. So why can't they do it again? I mean, it stands to reason, if you've done it multiple times, you can do it again. The top five picks are Darren Williams and Ennis Cantor. Acquiring Favors, who was a top five pick. They didn't draft him himself. Mm-hmm. That was the D-Will trade. There's been a shortage of top five picks. In, well, oh, Exum. Exum, who they flipped into Clarkson. Thank that goodness the they got five. Clarkson out of that yeah. one, or else that would have been a bust. Yeah. At least till this point, if the kid can ever get healthy. Uh, so we'll see. But yeah, that, that's their charge, man. And, and I have no doubt that they can do it again, with or without Mike Conley. And I want them to have Mike Conley back. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hands at Scotty are up next. We will see you tomorrow.